This is Larry Zerner, Shelley from Friday 13th Part 3. You're on Nightmare Junkhead. Hey, genius, fuck you too. like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that always has time for one more story my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're delving even deeper into the mouth of march madness as we welcome two of our favorite horror podcasts to help us talk the surviving classics from our 1980 bracket and you don't have to be lost at sea to listen into our show Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your thinning hair hole. And if you are out on social media, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And of course, it is on the Book of Face that we have our little events tab, which leads to... Shenanigans! And as this episode does release on Friday, March 6th, we were recording these far enough, far out in advance that we didn't know what was coming up. But we know now. We do indeed, and that means on March 10th, which is a Tuesday, which ultimately means I'm going to be at the Alamo Draft House. Terror Tuesday presents a film that we highlighted and talked about in last year's Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. Yeah. If you like getting freaky with mannequins... This might be the film for you. We're going to first you cover up your face, and then you won't be able to breathe. Yuck it up with one. Yuck Connors. With Tourist Trap, which I cannot wait to see that on the big screen. Terrifying. Terrifying. God damn it. Terrifying. Tr- truly terrifying. And then that Friday on March 13th at Screenland Armor, we are going to be hosting a vintage screening, which means... The short, the short shorts, the cutoffs are going to make an appearance because uh-huh. I'm going to be in my best counselor getup. Uh, we're going to be screening the original 1980 classic, Friday the 13th. <gasps> you, are you going to be doing the Jason? No, we can't because it's can. not. It is not about the Jason no. yet. But we're going to have, and then we're going to do a little shenanigans and fun stuff before and after. It's going to be a blast. It will be a blast. And whether or not. We've got a death curse. And whether or not this screening is going to be in celebration of Friday the 13th making its way into the mouth of March Madness or whether we're lamenting the loss does not matter. But ultimately, it's going to be up to the gentleman that we're bringing in here for our next little chat here. Oh, wait. And also on oh, uh, April 25th. Kansas City Horror Club. That yes, is correct. Don't forget, April 25th, we are bringing the 70s and 80s disco costume-themed Disco of the Dead. $25 tickets. Proceeds go to the Walking and Rolling Foundation at Big Rip Brewing Company. It's going to be a Fucking blast! I am so ready to shake my ass. If you've ever seen Genius Miggy cut the cut a rug, it's impressive because I've said it once. I'll say it again. You are the big Van Vader of the <laughs> horror folks because you are surprisingly nimble for a man of your size. So if you want to see Genius Miggy get down, this is your chance. But I'm getting older, so I can get down, but I'm gonna need some help getting up. So. I, I heard that. It's uh, rocking, <laughs> rocking and rolling every other night and partying every, every other day. day. Now I'm lucky as if it's once a week. But I'm waiting for it. April 25th, the big rip. Well, I, I, if I'm giving you a little insight to how the sausage is made, one of the things I think with our podcast... How the fritters it, are made? Well, yeah, it takes all kinds of critters on that. <laughs> but if we're doing our job properly, I think we're doing three things ultimately. We're, we're being informative, mm-hmm. we're being funny, mm-hmm. and, we're bring, and we're being insightful. Yeah. And I think if we do all three of those things, we've had a successful show. We're classy as fuck. And I would say, yeah, any of our listeners will go, well, that's, you don't do any of those things. <laughs> and again, we try to do that. But ultimately, a show that I know will do that, again, insightful, funny, informative... 
They're educating and entertaining. Uh, we've had both of these individuals on in prior Madness years, but this is the first time we're going to get the full force of them, and I cannot wait. Uh, one of my favorite shows out there from the Horror Business Podcast. Please welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead, Justin Lore and Liam O'Donnell. Hey. What up? What's oh, up? yeah, what up? Yeah. Give it up. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> it is, this is... Yo, you guys are... You, you, your is the stick that ever sticked, and I love it. Also, you guys do lots of cool events, and we barely can get together to watch. We barely exist. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, if Our it wasn't for pre- if it wasn't for those events, I would never get out. Like, so I totally yeah, understand. <laughs> so before we get into the madness proper, uh, tell our listeners where can they find you guys out on social media? Please plug and promote away. Uh, you could find the pod. The podcast has a. Uh, Instagram and Twitter account both are the har biz six 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 biz spelled b i z. Um, if you're t- on that through Twitter, I do that, and I also run our Instagram, um, so they can follow the podcast there. And if anyone wants to follow me on um, Twitter or Instagram, they're both an xjack. Uh, Twitter, it's just lots of pictures of my dog and horror movie stuff. And or no, Instagram is lots of pictures of my dog and horror movie stuff. And Twitter is lots of me yelling at my uh, my local senators and <laughs> shit that'll probably get me arrested by the Secret Service. So either you know, if that's your <laughs> if angry leftist commentary and dogs are your thing, then I welcome all the follows. I think you've pretty much <laughs> summed up our audience in one succinct little thing there, uh, Liam. Yourself? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, uh, not only this podcast but i'm on a few others and all those are on uh Cine podcast network so if you go to cinepunks.com you can check out horror business you can check out uh my other podcast cinepunks and cinema smorgasbord and you can check out a bunch of other podcasts including uh the evil eye that's a goth and film podcast or you can check out um uh fat girl hacks yep. or black sun dispatches or any number of other johns that we got going on there and you can follow me on Twitter at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. But honestly, you don't want to do that. Just focus on <laughs> Cinepunks, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Check out the website. Check out our uh, Instagram and, and Twitter. Uh, I will plug. Also, I run a, a, a T-shirt fan club with, a, with well, by run, I mean I send the shirts. And then my friend Justin Miller does all the design. So I don't want to pretend like I do the creative thing. I just put T-shirts in bags. But still, the T-shirts are pretty sick. So if you go to roughcutt.shirts.com, um, you can check that out. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of stuff. Probably by the time people hear this, we would have dropped our black exploitation double feature. Uh, we have a few more cool new things coming out. So check it out. Excellent, excellent. And I really want to give you guys a lot of credit to the Cinepucks Podcast Network and not only how it's growing, but the level of diversity in your shows. It's just not the same thing over and over again. And as someone that listens to a lot of podcasts, I really do appreciate that. Um, And more importantly, it's just the fact, and especially with your guys' show, that you guys are so genuine and you can hear it in the discussions and again whether you are agreeing whether you are disagreeing i do love the passion behind that and i do see that in all the shows that you are getting with cinepunk so ultimately as a podcast listener i really appreciate it thank you for putting in all that that work and effort because it does not go unappreciated well i really appreciate that. Uh, that that's that's a huge to me that's a huge compliment that is exactly where we're at and what one of the things i look for i mean don't get me wrong i also like it if people have you know uh, juice the energy they got you know what I mean there needs to be some there needs to be some uh, dynamism there 
but I also want people to be real and, and, you know, a combo of the two is engaging in and of itself. But, you know, I say that all, but y'all are two of my favorite, uh, podcast hosts, period. Like the, me and Justin don't have the level of just goofy engagement that you guys have <laughs> with your with your quips and your jokes and whatever. That's just not who we we're just not that smart. We're not that oh, quick. I, I can't think. So, yeah, we just can't roll roll like that. We we the funniest we are is when we're busting on each other because we just can't <laughs> roll with that level of. You guys are constantly just cutting each other up and making jokes and building off each other, and I'm always like. God damn, do I got to take an improv class or something? Like, how do I get there? (laughs) No, man, we're not that smart, dude. I think you're giving us more credit. We're more litter than literati. So, like, (laughs) it's just... (laughs) I I would actually just say, I would stand by that. No, but but the thing is, ultimately, Justin Liam, the fact that you guys are friends, and that is true, it's, it's genuine, and I love that. So, again, keep up with what you're doing. Don't change anything. I love it. I love it. Don't listen to Genius, he, you know. But honestly, with Genius, he you, he does come from a comedy background. You you ran the the stand up circuit for a while, for a minute, yeah. But which stories we don't want to hear. I'm afraid <laughs> that's an entirely different show. That's again going behind the beaded the beaded curtain there. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time on to come here and talk. And we've got four films from the year of 1980 that are genuine. And I again listening to the show. I know you guys have covered several of these before, whether they are ultimate, like, you know, focused upon episodes or just in, in, you know, passing. So I know you guys are familiar with these. But here in the round of the Scream 16, we have two criteria because ultimately only two of these films are going to move into the round of the Hateful Eight. Uh, So we're going to get to that. But let's go ahead and start talking some of these films. And we're going to look at our first matchup here. We have a film that was inspired by a film... I'm trying to think of the way. It's Friday the 13th going up against the fog. Friday the 13th came about because of... Two goddamn classics. Yeah, yeah. So I don't even know where to start. So again, let's go ahead and open it up to our guest, uh, Justin Liam. Which one will, shall we start talking about first? Friday the 13th or the fog? Let's talk about Friday the 13th first. Let's get this party started right. <laughs> fuck. So were any of you guys making love while, you know, Jason was drowned? I still, that is probably my favorite line in the entire franchise. They were not the bang. It's in they making love. They were making love. So what is your guys' background, familiarity, relationship with the original Friday the 13th? It's bullshit and I hate it. <laughs> and it starts. Out the gate. Out the fucking gate. Literally one of my least favorite horror franchises. Lay it on a show. Right. Again, all are welcomed here. Where does the the vitriol come from with Friday the Thirteenth? I'm just under Liam's skin. Um, uh, no, I mean I don't. I don't. Like the, um, I think by the time I was old enough to actually watch these movies, uh, first one is it was I knew the, the twist kind of, so it didn't really uh, it didn't hit as hard as it could have. Um, and I'm a gigantic slasher. To, to be, uh, I don't want to say well made because that's going to imply that these, these that implies that these are effectively. But I don't believe that it's just uh, my kind of thing is based upon years. Yeah, this is my thing. And people being like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? How do you not like Friday the Thirteenth Part 3 And I'm like, "I just it's not bad. It's just not my thing." And then you know I get shouted into fucking a panic attack um but i'll give credit where credit's due 
Um, I do think this movie had, um, actually, no, it's, it's not <laughs> as, as the guts. It part, part three that has the guts where they're, you know, or part two has the guts where they're just like, I hey, remember that, that, that kid that they kind of talk about from the first movie. What if we made him the villain? <laughs> like, Oh shit. That'd be great. Um, but no, I don't know. I mean, I'll give, uh, it, it's, it's fine. It's, it kicked off the whole like summer camp thing or, you know, made it mainstream, I guess. So, uh, and without it, we wouldn't be, you know, the, I don't think the decade of the eighties would be nearly. And, you know, Jason Voorhees did to become one of the most, uh, iconic villains in horror films, but, but, but talking about this film specifically, <laughs> um, Jason Voorhees isn't the fucking villain in this. So it's like to give this movie credit for doing that is like, no, no, no. You should be giving credit to the fucking hockey mask and all that shit comes in. Um, so I, I, it's I don't know. It, it's 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 fine. I guess it's OK. I wouldn't turn it off if it was on unless there was another movie on that I liked, which then in case I would turn it off. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's a. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, I, I think you need to take a swim in the cleansing lake and the, the cleansing. Purify yourselves in the lakes of instead of Minnetonka. Crystal, Crystal Lake. lake. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's wealth. I hey, you I mean, showed your work. It's not dude. far from where we are right now. Take a dive, my friend. I mean, okay. Liam, do you have a retort to that? So here's the deal. I think that. It's hard to discuss Friday the 13th because it is a cultural phenomenon. It is a fucking moment in time. And so, A, I think that certain fans of this movie, icon that is the Friday the 13th franchise, the thing that it became. And it's not necessarily about this film. Yeah. B, some haters of this film are doing what <laughs> I do or anyone does. When everybody loves a thing and it's a fucking cultural moment, doesn't work for you you're almost obligated to not like it are you calling me a contrarian yes <laughs> when it comes to this you are because not because you're just trying to be an asshole that's not what i mean but what i mean is it is very i do this all the time read the fast and furious series when something is a cultural moment and everyone is about it and it like this this film create jason this is the beginning of what changed horror for the better or worse yeah, absolutely Therefore, if it doesn't work for you, you're going to have a much stronger reaction than you would if it wasn't that thing. If it was just a lone slasher movie that hasn't haunted us for for you your entire life. There was no moment this film wasn't a part of the cultural conversation since you've been alive. Yeah. So, yeah, your response to it is not exactly about the movie. It's like I the Beatles. Think. Fuck the Beatles. Yeah, the fucking Beatles. You know what's funny? My feeling on the Beatles is like... There is no Beatles song I don't like. I actually think oh. every Beatles song I heard is pretty good. Ah. But when someone's like, I love the Beatles, I'm like, oh, man. Oh. I, I can scream. You like white bread a lot? How do you <laughs> feel about water soup? Yeah. Listen, I can't say anything because I, I go to 31 flavors and inevitably I get vanilla. And if I'm feeling particularly, you know, saucy, <laughs> I'll get French vanilla. Okay, so I can't. Ooh la la, j'ai oh, oh, bon oh, oh. vanilla. Oh, oh. La French vanilla. C'est bon. So anyway. 
No, I I <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying about like it's not that like you can I hear what you're saying. I don't think he's a contrarian. Not like those oh, I fucking never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Ugh, right? Fuck them. I like Game of Thrones. But second of all, I think I can see your beefs with the Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there is some good scares for some people, but some people it ain't that cup of tea. It's an American Jallo, one hundred percent. And there's always no not not everybody has room for Jallo. So <laughs> like so, but at the same time, yeah, it's a goddamn beast. You know, I mean, like you said, good, bad, or indifferent, it formed a cultural phenomena. So yeah. I hate to say, like, I see, you're both pretty, but you're both pretty. You know what I'm saying? You guys are both right. Well, no, I mean, it, it, it's 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 definitely. I'm I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that it's. Uh, I mean, it it it's there. <laughs> you know, there, 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 there's no denying that this that this movie kicked off one of the most iconic, for better or worse, franchises ever, 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 ever in any genre of film ever. Um, it it's. The, the, the impact of this of this movie, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, you know, uh, you know, in the same way, that, like I made a joke earlier about the Beatles, but like I hate the Beatles. But like I'm not going to sit here and say, like, you know, they they didn't have an impact. It was like people were yeah. literally fainting at the sight of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that shit only happens in like Lovecraft stories. And here we are having people <laughs> fainting over like four British people. That's 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 something. That's a thing that it, you can't deny it. Ringo's um, playing the drums with eight arms and shit. Yeah, and, like, and fucking forty blind flute players. But yeah, it's just uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it, I, it is what it is. You know, it's it's with there. There's a uh, there's a driving around here, um, about forty minutes away or so that they they play like eight millimeter every summer. They play like not the movie eight millimeter, unfortunately. They play <laughs> these films on 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 a. I'm sorry, 16 millimeter, and uh, film Saturday and 35. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it's it's definitely you know they played I think part two or part three this past summer, and I had fun watching it, but I, I mean I wouldn't watch this movie outside the the, the settings of like a drive-in. It's yeah. just that's like the proper. It's like the perfect. The I mean these these movies are like the perfect drive-in movies, but beyond that i just it just doesn't fucking it doesn't put the 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 the, the ram in my rod as they say so i got to i got to just I, I agree with a lot of what justin's saying to a certain extent but a i think the performance of uh, mrs Voorhees is actually unfuckwithable i, oh, think I could fuck end, with it it's terrible it's no, stupid you're, you're the worst. no it's so you're corny so no, fucking it's so wrong corny right now. hi mom so it's, good no it isn't Object- get out of my goddamn face the best part it, of the movie for me is a, I think there are some really solid kill kills and solid scares in, in the film, and B, I I will we don't have to get super deep into it, but I will say I think Mrs. Voorhees' performance is sick, and the end of the movie is sick. That being said, um, I don't think it makes sense that this film kicked off the phenomena it did. I've watched it a million times, and every time I think that's pretty that's pretty good. That was, a pretty, that was a pretty good movie. I don't understand how this became one of the highest grossing independent films of all time. I don't understand how this became the fucking cultural phenomena it did. And, and honestly, I don't think any of the Friday 13th movies are really great for me until part four. Part four is awesome. Part six is over the top, cool, 
and Jason X is a good time. Other than Fucking that, I'm really a. not invested. <laughs> Fucking A. <laughs> you just hit Genius's sweet spot there, uh, Jason in space. Well, I, I will... Jason in space is fun. It's yes, it is. Fun. It's a fucking blast. Well, I will... I will... Friday the 13th, the franchise, I've enjoyed it because I think there's multiple ways that you can watch the films. And whether you're doing the Jason in, uh, you know, Jason Takes Manhattan, when, again, he literally laughs yeah. several times in that film, which just throws me off. But I also understand that people don't dig this film because it is basically a a formulaic film, especially the franchise. You know, insert these teens, let Jason run amok, and again, Jason only appears after the original. So I can even understand if your distaste with the franchise stems from you don't like it because it went from Betsy Palmer to Ari Learman, whoever plays him, you know, in the future franchises. It did win our Savini bracket. So, I mean, I think the some of the gore well, and, I'll and let some me, of the kills. Let me ask both of you this, because this, in the first round, went up against Bill Lustig's Maniac, which I will argue, as tough of a film as that is, is one I'd probably rather watch mm-hmm. on a regular basis than Friday the 13th. Oh, my God, absolutely. That's, so we technically could have been talking Maniac, my gentleman. I'm so sorry on this one to inform yeah. you. I mean, I will straight up tell you, and I don't want to, no, no, no spoilers here, but if Maniac was going up against the fog, the fog would be left behind in a second. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maniac is the, of that, of that kind of film, mm-hmm. Maniac is the best, period, end of discussion. It's an objective fact. Yeah, it's just <laughs> fucking amazing. It is an unbelievable achievement. Uh, our man in that movie is the fucking scariest, creepiest weirdo <laughs> ever. And he's I, and what's crazy is you take Maniac away, I still like him. Yeah. Maniac's just the best sweaty version of him. <laughs> we all strive to be the like sw- at- best sweaty version of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. No, I My agree. favorite Joe Spinell is uh, C- secret gay Joe Spinell in uh, Cruisin'. That's a very good Joe Spinell. I also like... Joe Spinell, I wasn't supposed to be in this movie, but I showed up anyway in the ninth configuration where oh, he plays, uh, uh, you know, Lieutenant Spinell or whatever his fucking name is in that. <laughs> I'm actually a big fan of him in a Space Crash as well, just showing up as Lord Zartan. Yes. But that speaks to the power of Spinell and the fact that with this tournament, I think we even I lamented that I would have rather seen Maniac move forward in the tournament. But as it is, just the criteria, the tape, yeah. yeah, the showing of the work. So final thoughts before we switch over to one of the masters. Uh, final thoughts on Friday the 13th before we start talking the fog. Liam's wrong. Everything Liam said. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I don't actually fault people for loving this movie. I think it, <laughs> it holds a lot of weight. I just think if you expand your intake of slashers even, there mm. are better slashers. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're still talking about this one as much as we are is because of the <laughs> fucking guy hate you it was because of the uh cultural impact of its sequels yep. not because of the strength of this one movie yeah, totally makes sense totally makes sense so from a film that spawned a franchise to a film that came from a franchise uh we're looking at john carpenter's the fog there's something off the poop day god damn it and any film that gives us the the wild and wonderful buck flower captain buck captain <laughs> buck uh <laughs> and i know you guys have talked extensively on the show about this but can you give us your background experience relationship with the fog i talked about this on the episode of Har business we, we just re- we just recorded on wednesday oh, yeah. uh yeah so this isn't my favorite carpenter film um i wouldn't even put it in like my top five but I do think, oddly enough, it has my favorite Carpenter score in it. Mm. Like the score for this movie is so haunting and 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 gorgeous, 
and ominous and evocative of of just a fucking dead ocean where horror lurks and unseen terrors are approaching. It's so just it's a it's an amazing score. And uh, I told this anecdote in our business on Wednesday last uh, last spring. I was asked to leave the church that they filmed this in <laughs> by by a nun. Uh, <laughs> Wait, okay, please. I, I'll be listening right. to it on the show, did but she, I need to hear this. Did she from chase you. you with holy water and like you know? Well, I was I, I was I was out in Los Angeles. Um, I go out every year to to see some friends, and one of my friends out there, her and her boyfriend do a like a zine where they visit um, horror movie and film locations in, in you know in the area. So we initially went to the bar where they filmed Halloween three in, which was very oh, yes. welcoming. The bartender yes. was this lovely old Irish woman who was like, oh, yes, they, had, you know, here's the scene where they filmed Tom Atkins doing this. <laughs> and here's the film, the scene where they filmed Tom Atkins having sex with an underage woman without asking her age. Um, so while we were there. Wait one sec. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that was a Jamaican accent. You <laughs> just did a goddamn Jamaican accent, and it really offended me. Madam Cleo says, Keep buy going. the mask. That was not a, that was sure. no Jamaican oh, Shamra, call me now. Plot, and it would have been a very good Jamaican <laughs> accent. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway. Our apologies to our Irish contingent. The same thing. I'm Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> Fuck you. Everything's Irish. So anyway, <laughs> after, after, we, after we leave this bar, we left this bar because there was these two like boomer types drinking at the bar, and one of them said something about me to my friend Kelly. At which point she was like, "Okay, we have to leave." And I was like, "What? What's wrong?" Because I'm like a I'm a pretty mellow dude usually. And she was like, "Oh, one of those guys said something about you." I was like, "I don't give a fuck what they said. Like, fuck those guys." And she's like, "No, but now I'm upset." And it was like, you know, okay, now like like I don't care. You can make fun of me. I'll just be like, "Oh, uh, I'm a fat weirdo." I didn't know that. Thank you. But like. I was like ready to fight these people because they had made her upset. So I like started to walk back in the bar. She's like, get back out here. We have like a, a weird platonic couple fight. And then I'm like, all right, let's just get the hell out of here. She's like, let's go to the church where they filmed the fog. So I'm like in the zone to kill somebody because my, 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 my friend's honor has been offended. So we go to this church or we get out of the car. We're like walking around like, Ooh, ah, there's where this happened. There's where that happened. And there's like, like a, like a kindergarten class in the building somewhere. And as we're walking around, this like I, I think she was I said she was a nun on hard business, but now I'm like, was she a nun or was she just a teacher? She comes out and she's like, Oh, you guys are gonna have to leave. And I was like, Oh no, we're just like yeah, we're big film fans. She's like, No, I understand, but there's like a school here, so y- you have to leave. And I'm like, Okay, we'll come back later. And she's like, I'd actually appreciate it if you didn't. And there was this like moment where I was like, Who the fuck gave you the right to kick me out of here? Holy shit. I reject your God, and I'm here for John Carpenter. So I'm gonna stay. But then I was like, nah, you know what? All right, we like <laughs> I mean, I actually commend her for doing her job like if i had seen me walking around i'd have been like i would have called the cops so the fact that she just asked me to leave was actually a great service to me and it was her doing her her job so um that's, that's a really long story that doesn't say anything about the fog but i'm saying that's my personal relationship with the fog fuck you did she like that's what i think float back in the class that? did she like float back into the church like whoosh. She did. Her her eyes were glowing. Like this, like weird synth started playing, and I was like, "That was strange." Yeah, it turns out the god plutonium will not save you. Giant ruler no. comes out. Yeah, <laughs> this is your god now. <laughs> well, Liam, do you have anything close to that kind of a relationship with the fog? No, that's why I'm so mad at Justin. <laughs> we gotta do this Look, here's the, here's the deal. I I grew up. 
I grew up being super stoked on Carpenter, being a big Carpenter fan. He's and over it now, weirdly, though. Weirdly, The Fog was just one of those I never saw, and I didn't really see it till like, the mid-O's. I was like, oh, Ooh. this is a hole in my in my watching history. So I, I watched it. I think even though it was well into DVD times, I think I actually had it on VHS, and I watched it on VHS, and I was like, eh, it's fine. I don't know. I don't really get it. The, one of the things that kind of bummed me out about it was the whole kill count thing. You know, you guys will oh, remember yeah. they, they got to kill seven people and they find out they got to kill, you know, that the, the ghost pirate ghosts want to kill seven people, six people in. And when I was like 20 something and that happened, I thought, well, just throw the fucking priest out the door. You're good to go. Movie's over. Like, let's move on with our lives. And uh, it's only having rewatched it, thinking about doing this recording and watching it in full HD on a big TV and really like, knowing that the kill count thing was a factor and putting that out of my head and focusing on like what the movie looked like, what it sounded like all the other sort of atmospheric aspects of the film. But I was like, Oh, this is actually a very good Carpenter film. But it, it it took me a while to get there because again, I watched it sort of in the least sort of engaging media way. And I was just too focused on like what feels like low stakes. I think if you left that out and it was just, the whole town is in danger and we got to figure out what to do to save the whole town. That would have been more engaging to me at the time, you know, but in that moment I was like, well, fuck seven people. That's like no big deal. Just, you know, I'd kill the priest myself. Be like, All right, he's dead. <laughs> it's, you can leave now. They call that like a death calculus or something. Just, you know, easy death yeah. equation. Death tax. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you talked about being able to kind of view this through, you know, recent eyes. What are your guys' thoughts on the relationship between Carpenter and Cundy and kind of the work that they produced? Oh, Dean Cundy? Oh, Jesus Christ. Sorry. <laughs> no, but, so who is this Cundy I mean, fella you're talking about? I mean, is is I, I this is like a hole in my it was he, he was like a, was he a, like a frequent collaborator with Carpenter? Yeah, so, he, he started initially with I believe it was Halloween and then they ended up collaborating up until a lot of movies. Yeah, I think Big Trouble in Little China may have been the last film he shot for him. And then eventually, you know, went on to like Back to the Future and Jurassic Park. But I, we always kind of joke it's the C&C movie factory. Everybody dance now. <laughs> but the, the fact that they were able to collaborate in such a way and the way the fog just has that distinct look. And the fact that it was before CGI. Well, seeing see, this is the, I'm complete ignorance to this. Um, so seeing as one of the things that I've always enjoyed about, uh, Carpenter's film, the cinematography, I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, I have a positive view of the CNC <laughs> cinematography factor. Uh, it, it's the thing, the trademark things of, of, of Carpenter films is the way it looks like a weird, um, did he do Christine? Cause the movie I've always, yes, he did. He did a John Carpenter film. That I've, yeah. I, there's there's so many shots that that I'm like oh that's an interesting choice that a lesser person wouldn't have made um, <laughs> lesser person no, yeah, oh, that that the shot fucking what's she getting killed in in narrow alleyway where it's like looking up at him and he's getting crushed is perfect um, but no that that's definitely I mean that's definitely a working relationship that I think kind of defines um, the way his films look. But I think it's the two of them together because uh, Cundy also uh, did the cinematography on Without Warning, and that movie looks like trash out of my booty hole. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think he also shot Nothing But Trouble, which is one of the weirdest things to put together, which I, I need to see that again, but I remember liking it. I know. Like, I, the, I, we're, a po- we're a podcast of positivity, but I despise Nothing But Trouble. That film just, 
You don't, I don't want a nice Hawaiian punch? No, I do not, Judge. I do not. Oh, my goodness. So final thoughts here on The Fog before we start debating and talking these two films. It's okay. It's one of Carpenter's lesser films. It's not as good as The Mist. And again, whatever Liam says, I disagree with. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It, it's moved up in my estimation of a, a top, you know, not the top, but a top tier Carpenter. Um, I still think it's an odd choice to let us know that only seven people need to die after you've killed six people. I, I still think that you take it out of the movie. Movie's better. Movie's only better for it. But uh, otherwise, I think it's really great. Also, can Hal Holbrook catch a break? Oh, can the man yeah. catch a break? Also, what is up with Tom Atkins just getting so much ass? He's Consistently, Tom he's Tom Atkins. He's the Atkins diet. That's what it is. Would, would you would you ask? I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start saying that. It's like, did you have sex with another woman last night, Justin? That's like the fourth in as many days. I'm on the Atkins diet. <laughs> Dude, no, <laughs> so as we like to get you know academic here showing our work we have two elements of criteria that we look at in the round of the scream 16 and our first category is so nice we do it twice so we do ask which of the two films nostalgic wise is closer to your heart closer to the heart i went oh, karaoke last night and i was gonna say you kinda... can't let, let's try i'm gonna do a little bit of a closer to there we go. There we Let's go. See. Closer to the heart. Closer to the heart. Ah, we're gonna. I'm getting there. I got to It's that karaoke last night, I man. Fuck me up, man. So ultimately, let's put it over to our guest, uh, Justin Liam. Which of the two films, Friday the Thirteenth or The Fog, is ultimately closer to your heart? I'm gonna go ahead and say The Fog. Um, and again, it mostly rests on the fact that I, I think I'm a bigger fan of Carpenter by far. Um, and like, I mean, like, I. I keep going back to the score of that movie but it's like it's weird like i said this isn't like top tier carpenter for me but when it's like september 15th september 16th and it's that time of year i just got to put the score on for that movie and it instantly puts me in the zone for halloween um so this is i mean this is also weirdly enough one of the um one of the few carpenter films um that that my parents have seen aside from like the thing or halloween uh, so I remember hearing about this movie when I was younger and being like, what's this movie about? And it's, oh, it's evil pirates. That's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, so it, weirdly enough, again, even though it doesn't real, I'm not like crazy about this movie. It still, it still strikes that weird nostalgic chord with me because there's like just enough about it to, uh, to make me, uh, to take me back, I that, guess. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. Uh, Liam, your thoughts. You're getting me with this nostalgia thing. You're fucking getting me. Because the reality is that while I do think undoubtedly The Fog is a better movie than Friday the 13th, I think that for me, again, everyone's taste is different, but for me, there's no argument there. However, what you're asking me is about nostalgia. And the reality is that I am far more nostalgic for Friday the 13th than I am for The Fog. And that is not a judgment on quality. That's no. just if we're talking about the, the role it played in my life, you know, I avoided the fog till you know, it had been out for over 20 years, you know, and that's as someone who was watching a lot of Carpenter films. It just never seemed like a priority to me to check it out. And my first response to it was negative. It took me a while to like vibe with it and be like, no, this is actually pretty good. So I think I got to say Friday the 13th on this one just to be true to myself. Absolutely. Nice work showing the work mm -hmm. there. Uh, Genius McGee, your thoughts. Um, so this one was hard because this the whole nostalgia factor experience factor um 
Now, I remember always growing up and loving the entire Friday the 13th franchise. And I, but I remember one being the one where like, eh, it's not Jason, it's not scary. And when I was younger, I, this guy was kind of the same way with the fog. It was like, uh, you know, it's good, but it's slow. It's no Halloween. It's no big trouble, you know. But upon looking back and watching these two movies, I, I know we're going to see part one in the theater but seeing the fog on the big screen, just the good old fashioned ghost story, the atmosphere, the beautiful shots, the just the the nightlight, you know, everything in that movie, the Atkins diet, the whole Megillah. I got to go for nostalgia factor. I'm going the fog. That makes sense. And I've been lucky enough to see both of these films in the theater with the crowd, not during the original run, obviously. So I know the power of both of those. We're old, but not, We're not, <laughs> not that, old that, yet. that old yet. Getting up there in the experience. But ultimately for me, when it comes to the nostalgia, I've got to go back to the tales of the fire department with all of those v- Friday the 13th VHSs just, just haunting me, taunting me, daring me. And that just brings back that flood of nostalgia. And for me... I've got to go with Friday the 13th. Now, that being said, we're going from the heart to the head, and we're going to think logically on this one. And if you were to remove one of these two films from the year of 1980, one of them would definitely leave the year poor or even horror, potentially. So that being said, Liam and Justin, let's go ahead and get you started. Which one would, uh, if you removed one, would leave 1980 poor? Uh, Friday the 13th. I'm, I'm you know, going to be objective about this. And like I said, it's it's not the movie I like more. But once again, you cannot deny the impact this movie had on um, not just the 80s as a decade, uh, but horror in general. I mean, Jason Voorhees was on fucking Arsenio Hall. <laughs> it, you know, that 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 he, it, it's it's it definitely when people think like the 80s, inevitably they're going to they're going to think about Jason Voorhees. And if you, if you took him away, it would, it would, it would, it would take away part of the charm, uh, that the, uh, that the eighties held. And I, I don't think the fog was enough of a, um, there wasn't enough of a brand there really to leave like a massive impact on the, maybe on the horror genre, just because it's, it's got, uh, my man JC on it, (laughs) but for like the eighties, you know, in you know, fucking forty foot high glowing neon letters, the eighties. I don't think would suffer if we hadn't had the fog, and that's nothing against the movie. It's just a fact. That is good showing. Mm-hmm. That is great work. As as a as a professor, I can say I'd give that an A. I loved the showing of the work here. Uh, Liam, your answer on this one. I mean, ultimately, I agree with everything Justin just said. Thank you, as you should. <laughs> no, because you're a monster. Uh, but I will. I will say I do want to counterpoint. There are a lot of people in the fog that would continue on and have an impact on the decade. And I think the decade would be better if the influence of our Atkins, uh, Lee Curtis, uh, uh, Adrian Barbeau, like all these people, if every interesting character actor who is in the fog had had more of an influence on the culture and the roles they continue to play throughout the decade than Friday the 13th, Horror would be better off for that, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. But the reality yeah. is, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the the only figure larger than Jason is Freddy, and I would argue that the decade really belonged to Freddy, and then Jason is a little bit under him, but his impact is undeniable, and we're still seeing movies 
in 2020 <laughs> that are like trying to be the original Friday the 13th. So you can't deny it. It's the one that really impacted the year. That's totally, totally true. Genius. Um, if you take away the fog, you're going to take away a very cool ghost story. If you take away Friday the 13th, you're going to take away a lot of the tropes. You're going to take a lot of the main villains. You're going to take a lot of the thing, the, the whole like, it's got a death curse. We wouldn't have Cabin in the Woods. We wouldn't have like all these movies that basically, like you said, are trying to be Friday the 13th. Um, so Friday the 13th is now, if you ask me if I want to watch the fog or Friday the 13th right now, I'm going to go the fog. But for this, it's got to be Friday the 13th. And again, it's tough not to be biased on what films we would like to move forward or ID, i.e. which films we enjoy watching more. But I also have to agree because of the fact that we that John Carpenter has such an impressive body of work, be it like straight slashers, ghosts, demons, Satan, what have you. It's very impressive. So if you take the fog away, we still have Halloween. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, Escape from New York. Uh, we've got They Ghost, Live. Ghost we, of Mars. Well, we'll discuss <laughs> Ghost of Mars a little bit more. The war. The war. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now we're throwing shade here. But without Friday the 13th, ultimately, you lose the 80s. Yeah. And I, I also have to go with that. And by not necessarily a shocker here, but ultimately making its way into the round of the Hateful Eight and continuing the celebration then is indeed Friday the 13th. <laughs> But you can't do the Jason. You got to do the uh, do the miss. It would be the do the not the do Betsy. The, do, do the Betsy. Kill him, mommy. Kill him. That's the way to do it. Now our ne- our final matchup here in the round of the Scream Six. Don't encourage him, guys. Uh, <laughs> I would argue we kind of have two interesting, maybe environmentally conscious films going up against each other, but two tonally different. And we've got Motel Hell. Organic versus environmental. Very much. Going up against Alligator. So let's go ahead. What two films, which of the two films should we go ahead and start with first? Uh, leave it up to you guys in the horror business. Let's do. Let's go alphabetical and do Alligator. I like All that. Right. So I know you guys did um, an Animals Run Amok episode of Alligator and Razorback, oh. which oh, that's two wonderful films on there. And I, Alligator is an experience. So please go ahead and share with us your experience with Alligator. So for years, when I was a little kid, I saw this movie probably when I was way too young to see it. <laughs> and it was they used to play it a lot on like um, like syndicate cable. So like TNT and shit like that. Um, and I always, the scene that always stuck with me was obviously as a child watching. This was when the little kid gets eaten in the um, what is that? The, the, the pool the or the pool pond scene. or whatever. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's what always when I was a little kid stuck with me. It was like a, there's a child in peril. Um, but then like when I got older and I started to become like just filled with with vindication and hatred towards the rich, I begin to like really appreciate the fact that this movie is about uh, how the sins of the rich cannot be kept down for long. Yes. And eventually they will come out to ruin everything for everybody. Um, yes. So – the scene where the where the where the alligator shows up and fucking lays siege to a wedding is <laughs> holy crap! It's so good, it's so perfect. And then on top of that, you got Robert Forster in this movie, yes, just yes. up to the gills and just like he never says this, but you know this shit happened when he had two weeks left of retirement and he was getting too old for this shit. It's just ah, uh, this this movie has it all. Like it, it, it's it's like a police procedural. Like a buddy cop movie almost that just happens to have a gigantic alligator in it. 
and it's just it's perfect. I'm not going to say that's exactly what we said the last round, right. but I'm so glad you guys shared that ex- that perspective because this movie is <laughs> magical. It's fucking funny as shit. Uh, interesting perspective on that, Joe, in terms of seeing the alligator as kind of a manifestation or representation. Uh, Liam, your thoughts on alligator? Uh, unfortunately, I agree with everything that Justin just said. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, just because I like to disagree with him. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean... I, unlike him, I had not grown up with this film. I think we talked about it when we covered it, uh, if people check out our series of Animal Attack films. Yes. I had never seen it. I would seen the cover a million times in every video store. But I've always thought of myself as not into Animal Attack movies. And until we did that series covering them, I didn't realize how many of them are such just a ball of joy for me. Oh, yeah. An <laughs> alligator is a goddamn revelation. A, the alligator is a class warrior, so respect for the alligator. B, Robert Forster, I mean, I'll take him any time, day or night. Like, that's, you know, that that's a thing. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it has a lot of, for a film that's just a giant alligator attacks parts of L.A., it should be a bummer. Like, it shouldn't work. And no, it's, it's, it was filmed in L.A. It's set in Chicago. That's yeah. true. You're right. I know. When he goes in the lake, yeah, it's like, he's just in Echo Lake, and they're like, yeah, it's downtown Chicago. Like, that's oh. clearly, a, if you pan over, you will see the skyline of Los Angeles, yeah. you maniacs. That's right. I forgot about that. They even show the L.A. River, I remember thinking. And it's like, yeah. no other city was stupid enough to build something like that. Yeah. Like, as soon as they show it, you're like, come on, hey, Chicago, get the fuck out of my face. Um, anyways, the point being, <laughs> the movie is exciting. It's fun. It has a nugget of thought to it, but not enough to outplay the fact that it's a giant alligator movie which is the best you what you want is a, a movie that technically is a stupid premise but is made by people who just can't help themselves so they're just like all right we got this big alligator who should the alligator fuck up should probably fuck up some rich people yep yep that's right Let's who will do defeat that. the alligator uh rob robert forrester stop drilling you struck oil and his thinning hair yeah so it's just so uh, everything about it is awesome. And again, I, I've talked to people all the time who are like, I don't like animal text movies. Yo, if you're listening to this and that's you, get off your high horse mm-hmm. and get attacked by an alligator because it's real good. <laughs> or attacked by the high horse. No, but uh, <laughs> no, I didn't grow up with this movie either. And this was the first time launch for the bracket for me. And I fucking love this movie so much. The practical effects still work. It's on a it's a great play on an urban legend that we all believed was true back in the day. Because I still won't go over alligator greats. You just called it an alligator grate. Exactly. And it's just a grate. Exactly. No, it's an alligator grate. Um, yeah, I, alligators come out of those fucking grates. We all know it. Exactly. That, chuds and clowns. You don't want to fuck with them, right? And tentacles. Um, <laughs> and then the fact that there's a whole running joke of his thinning hair. So and he's like, I'm real sensitive about it. And then professional ghoul uh, oh, Henry Silva shows up and teaches people how to do the alligator mating call. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the funniest fucking part is when that old rich white man's cooking the barbecue and he's like, yeah, you got to use the proper charcoal. And the guy's like, charcoal. What the fuck? Yeah, you got to get the right heat. Yeah, heat. Get, get, get away from me. You know, just so funny. So funny. This movie works on multiple levels, and I'm always just. I think Justin, you said you saw this when you were too. How many of us saw films though when we were way right? too young <laughs> that obviously made an impression? No, I, I I always think about um, 
how I saw Carpenter's The Thing when I was maybe six years old. Oh, God. And I have... <laughs> I have a 10 year old niece now and she like wants to get into horror movies. And I like my like dad panic sets in when I think of her watching <laughs> anything at 10 that I saw when, when I was 10. like six or seven. Yep. You know, yep. Like, you know, just like, I, I'm just like, why? You, no, of course you cannot watch the thing. What sort of monster would let a child watch the thing? And I look over at my dad and he's like, yeah, what's up kid? <laughs> It's the passing of the horror torch. Another time. Yeah. Another place, <laughs> as it is. I, I think, ultimately, you guys mentioned it before, they they made a police procedural and just added a killer alligator and just let it run amok and let it run naturally. And that's what I like about the film. Also, it's lean and mean. Comes in at 90 minutes. It is mean, because do, he does eat a lot of genetically altered dogs, and that's not cool. But he's a goddamn alligator, so like... Well, the alligator doesn't know what he's eating, you know, otherwise he might make his way over to Farmer Vincent. The, the ordinary sewer alligator just devours everything that he can. <laughs> I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this film, but um, before we go over into Motel Hell, I want to get your guys' final thoughts really quick on Alligator. It's an amazing movie. Uh, eat the rich, and Robert Forrester cannot die. Uh, no, he ever, ever it's great immortal. If you don't, it's great. And if you don't like it, fuck you. Oh, there we go. Alligator will get you. And I will say, I know you both enjoyed Crawl, so I'm glad to see, you know, the the ascendance of the the killer creature, alligator, animals, run amok film. Well, going from a film of a killer creature to one of, I mean, just all about good eating, we've got the the core comedy. Yeah, technically, Motel Hell. And I even know you guys, one of you had now had a chance to see this on the big screen at one of the, the film festivals not too long ago. So tell us your relationship with one Motel Hell. Uh, I hadn't seen this movie uh, in I, this was like a relatively recent watch for me. Um, it played the uh, exhumed films, 24 hour Harthon yeah. back in 2016. Um, but this movie, it, it's just it's disgusting. Um, I still think that the noises that the people in the garden make are fucking vile and make me want to vomit. Awesome. They're so good. It's so gross. <laughs> it's so, oh my God. But it's, this is a movie that it's sort of like Return of the Living Dead 2 in that it's so stupid, but it knows it's stupid it, and it's actually in on the joke. It's not trying to make a movie that's, it's so bad it's good, like no, it, Sharknado or some dumb cock movie like that. Like, Rory Calhoun knows that he's ridiculous, and it's fine, and he runs with it. The whole movie knows that it's ridiculous, and it's fine, and it runs with it. And I think there's just something that's so beautiful about a movie that came out in 1980 that was so unafraid to just not take itself seriously and just go along with the ride and still do the best they possibly could with what they had. And, it, you know, I'm not going to sit here and claim that I'm this gigantic Motel Hell fan, but there is something to be said about that attitude in filmmaking, and I, I, think, it, I think it really shows in the, in the final product. Ugh, I gotta go first. I, I'll, I have nothing to add. I agree with everything Justin said, except for I think the vo I think the noises they make are perfect. Um, I grew up with this movie a little bit, like I saw it when I was younger, and it was one of those. Um, the cover of it is so haunting; yes. it's like in my yes. brain. Yeah, and I, I remember seeing it in the video store all the time. I only watched it the once though, and it wasn't really a regular watch for me. And then, like Justin said, we saw it at the Arathon, and I just was reminded like. This movie is not just scary in its own way, but it's so funny. It's a fucking hilarious movie. And I think since then, we saw it at Hearthon 2016. I think I've watched it almost once a year since nice. then. 
because I just was like, you know, around Halloween, I want to put something on. Motel Hell, it goes down so easy, and it's still fucking weird. Uh, plus, I'm sure everyone saw the news, right? Real life Motel Hell in Montana. Wait, what? Dude just got arrested. You guys didn't hear about this? No. That was fake. That was fake. Was that fake? Damn. Damn. It was on rings.com. Oh, I just saw someone tweet I just, about it. I just, I just, I just removed a reported post off the Lehigh Valley Horror community. Was it fake? Yeah, of course it was fake. Oh, that's great. That's good. Rats. Rats. I literally didn't click on it. I just was like, oh, some guy put human meat in jerky? That makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you could just point out the fact that uh, who did that in real life? There was a serial killer in Portland. Seattle? Of course. That sold that human that. meat? I'm sure it was organic, though, well, right? No preservatives? Well, or? It, they, they, yeah, of course, You know, because it takes all kinds of critters. They big. could never prove that he did it, <laughs> but like, he was like a, like a pig farmer who sold meat to like various sausage factories, and uh, he had killed, like I think, 17 or 18 sex workers over the years, and was just like, oh yeah, of, of course I just mix it in with the pig meat. Why wouldn't I do that? So the cops are just like, let's just not tell people that they probably ate human meat. Let's just keep this on the DL. Let's just keep that. Let's just not. Yeah, but of course you can't keep that. That's. Mm. Well, tur- yeah, it turns out. That's the, one bell that can't be unrung. There's gluten allergies and then there might be just human flesh allergies right. out there that we I, haven't discovered. I'm sorry. I can't eat long pork. I'm allergic. That's, that's exactly. Well, and being that, um, Justin, are you vegan? Correct. I'm sorry. What was that? Are you, are you vegan? Uh, I am, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm curious then, especially just given the nature of this film, do you think even back in 1980 that they were that prescient just in terms of like the health food fads and eating better and cutting out um, the middleman? I, I I don't think it was intentional on their part because uh, as, this is a fun movie and I, you know, yeah. I, 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 I do like it, but I don't think this movie is, I don't want to say smart enough because that has like an implication <laughs> that this movie is dumb or shallow and I don't think it is. No. I don't think whoever made this movie was intelligent enough to make this kind of point, but there is a scene in this movie where uh, Rory Calhoun is, I forget who he's talking to, but he does make a point that like pops in my head every fucking single time I see some like suburban white woman on Twitter talking about like Chinese people eating dogs and uh, how he says like, you know, he, he says like when he's, he's telling the story about how they, they ate one of their dogs and the person's like revolted. He's like, what meats meat and a man's got to eat. And I'm like, I respect the consistency. Yeah. You know, I, I respect the fact that he is like, look, if I'm going to eat meat, it's all fucking fair game. And it's something I've I've said a lot of time is like, look, if you're going to if you're going to eat a cow or a goat or a pig, don't come down on Chinese people for eating dogs. Right. Like, I think it's revolting. But at the same time, like, I also, you know, I've chosen to re- remove myself from all of that. Um, but the one I one of my biggest annoyances and pet peeves is I do love the fact that back in like 1980 they're talking about uh, this is a criticism against um, GMOs and I cannot stand the movement where they're like if I can't pronounce it I'm not going to eat it like okay so you're not going to eat Indian food or Chinese food or all this other delicious international cuisine because you're being kind of a xenophobic asshole and you, you don't understand that like sodium chloride is just salt you know, like, you, you fucking idiot. Because I, I really do hate the fact that there's this whole movement of people out there who were, they think they're better than everyone else because, oh, I only eat organic and I only eat non-GMO foods. I'm like, where's the fucking evidence that that shit is bad? Right, that, that, right. That, You know what I mean? Like, aside from you jumping on a trend, like, where's the evidence that that is bad? 
So I, I do get kind of a kick out kick out of how almost 40 years ago they're making a movie where it's this degenerate crazy person in the woods uh, who's, yeah, sure, sure, I kill people. Sure, I grind them up. But oh, hey. I don't give them no chemicals or, or growth hormones. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a monster. <laughs> right. I know. I know the line and the limit. Yeah. There's. Yeah. And his final deathbed I, confession was like preservatives, which <laughs> is the yeah. capper to such a great little thing. Well, as I mean, look, don't, I, I here. I want to. I think there is some anxiety had about what is going into our food, but what's weird about that anxiety is that that should be an anxiety about testing, because a lot of times. Yeah proving things without proper testing but why is it that science in and of itself is the problem with food whereas like if you were like in an airplane and someone's like you know i don't like that they use science to build this airplane i wish they found a more natural way to construct it it's you would say well that's a fucking crazy thing to say with food i get the idea if your concern is i'm not convinced they've tested all these chemicals well that's a fair concern because since the 50s People have gotten sick from a lot of shit we put in food. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. But that should be about testing. It shouldn't be, well, science made this, so therefore it must be bad. It's a veiled Yo, form. Fucking, broccoli. it doesn't exist in nature. So if you're eating broccoli, you're not eating organic in the strictest of the word. We make shit all the time. That's what we do. The issue here is that people put profit over going. Will this kill someone? I don't know, but we'll make a lot of money in the meantime. They don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't think about that. It's this. It's this. It's it's veiled anti-intellectualism that's dressed up as like. <laughs> Uh, I want to eat like the pioneers did, and I want to eat how cavemen did. Good luck with that. Good, have fun dying at thirty from fucking dysentery because the water you drink is poison. Oh, Oregon Trail that's, that's shit. That's all it is to me. Yep, it, it, yeah. it, it yeah, always exactly. comes back to the Oregon Trail. Yeah. Well, ultimately, as much as we like both of these films, only one can go forward to represent uh, 1980 in the round of the Hateful Eight. So, Motel Hell going up against Alligator again. We're going to ask which of the two films is closer to your heart. So, Justin Liam, which one is it? Uh, Alligator's closer to my heart, but for a movie that represents the 80s more, I think it would be Motel Hell because it has a man wearing a pig's head, wielding a <laughs> chainsaw, and eating people. And I think that, the, like, Alligator is definitely a movie from, from the 80s, but I think it's a callback to monster movies from the 50s. Sure. Uh, so I don't think it's real representative of the 80s, where Motel Hell is the 80s distilled into one I insane movie. I feel like you movie. the two questions. Uh, yeah. One is what's closer to your heart, and one is oh. what's more important to 1980. Oh, uh, I would say Alligator's closer to my heart. Okay, yeah, we'll, okay. we'll get to the closer yeah. to the, the, the <laughs> yeah, 1980 yeah, 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 there. Yeah. So definitely going to Alligator on that one. Liam, your thoughts, uh, closer to your heart, Motel Hell or Alligator? Alligator. I love Motel Hell. It's a lot of fun. But, I mean, these are both light horror films. Both of them are not super heavy horror films. And one of them is clearly funnier than the other. But I have more fun watching Alligator, even though I think Motel Hell is great. That totally works. Genius. So this is hard, okay, because I grew up with Farmer Vincent's. I mean, and knowing that it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. I grew up I watching that iconic like uh Edna Ballbreaker in a pig head mask going at people and scaring the <laughs> shit out of those kids and that was great. And I grew up knowing like that's Rory Calhoun. He's the guy that's always standing around and doing things, right? And so like I always know that. But when I saw Alligator for the first time, it was a magical fucking experience, dude. I laughed. I was like, oh, no. When, like, he was getting the cop and the other cop, I was like, "That's this is a tense scene. Like, you better, you better get your, 
hairy ass up there before he bites you in the ass, man. And just like, I had a good time with it. And I laughed so hard. And like, if anybody asks me now, have you ever seen Alligator? I fucking love that movie. <laughs> so like, for Close to the Heart, even though... It's relatively a first time. I got to go alligator. Nostalgia can get you in different ways. So for me, I've got to look at ultimately, and I one of you mentioned the the VHS cover of Motel Hell, and it's one of those that has always stuck with me. It was the American Gothic before American, you know, after mm-hmm. before, and because of that, it's something that is always closer, literally closer to my heart. So for me, I've got to go Motel Hell when it comes to that, but... If you remove one of these films, one of them would definitely leave 1980 poor. Justin, you kind of gave us a little insight of that. But again, re- revisit that argument if you wouldn't mind. Uh, it's just when when you think of the 1980s, you're going to think slashers. You're going to think uh, chainsaws. You're going to think uh, weird backwoods people. <laughs> and that's what Motel Hell has. Uh, it has this insanity to it that isn't entirely original but still sums up like, again, the image of someone wearing a pig's head and and wielding a chainsaw. That's a great horror movie. That's it right there. I'm sure there are people out there who have never seen Motel Hell and don't realize that that image is from Motel Hell, but they've seen that image before. Yep. So like I said, I I think Alligator is definitely a better movie and it's, it's, I'm a bigger fan of that, but that movie comes from a different era than Motel Hell does. Um, that's like a 50s B-movie almost, whereas Motel Hell is the 80s just <laughs> distilled into some into one glorious shot of fucking insanity. It totally works. It totally works. Uh, Liam, your thoughts? I, 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 I find this difficult because um, there is a certain amount of, even though this is a, don't be wrong, Alligator's a throwback to the 50s. I totally agree. There are other animal attack movies of this decade, and I think Alligator is like the best example of that. So I kind of want to respect that impact. I also want to respect the that you know Robert Forster's there, but you know Motel Hell, it just seems iconic in a certain way. And uh, like you said, Greg, about the cover, I, I think that's true. That 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 image uh, isn't just impactful for you. I think it's impactful for a lot of people. Um, Plus the big head and the chainsaw, you know, that's terrifying. Yeah. So I think I got to go motel hell though. It is with a certain amount of reservation. That's okay. That's okay. We, we, we incorporate that Uh, genius. Your thoughts. I don't know, man. This (laughs) one is hard. Motel hell is iconic. There is a lot of, uh, a lot of different wonderful things about motel hell. The whole farmer Vincent's fritters quotable line. So if you take that away, you're taking all that away. But if you're taking if we're taking alligator away from 1980 on the year 1980 low, you're missing something extra special. I mean, this movie is fucking gold to me. But I've never seen it before. Yeah. I've this is the first time I've seen it. So if you took it away, I wouldn't know what I've missed. So, but I would have missed like Rory Calhoun standing around and doing things. So, like, I'm gonna go Motel Hell. That totally makes sense. And I'm was that gonna... a Simpsons? Was, was that a Simpsons reference right there? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because it's when the one where Mr. Burns is like, "Look, look, Smithers." It's that one. He reminds me of the guy that's always standing around and doing things. Oh, Rory, <laughs> Rory Calhoun. Yes, that's the one. And so that's why he do- doesn't kill the puppies. 
yes. for the make the coat. So, uh, and you will always find a Simpsons reference or two or three on the show. There, thanks to one genius McGee. But for me, I'm looking at it as Motel Hell as kind of a horror satire, and which we get plenty of throughout. But it's really a strong one. But ultimately. If I'm thinking 1980s, I am thinking of those really weird urban legends. Um, right. The the flushing the animals down the toilet, the the gang initiation where if you flash your lights at someone and theirs are off, they're going to come back and get you. That just happened to me the other day. And I was driving down the thing and somebody was like uh, with no lights on. And I was like thinking, man, maybe I should warn it. But they said, no, I don't want to get jumped. And so like. Yeah, I don't want to be a. I mean, I'm already a member of Los Locos, That's so right. I don't want to like. I can't like join another gang. Well, ultimately, for me, then I have to look at. If I'm looking at the 1980s, I do need that creature feature, even though it is a throwback to the 1950s. I think it works because it shows you that those creature features can always exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, we got Crawl here in 2019, basically alligator in Florida versus Chicago. Um, so for me, I'm going to have to go with alligator, and based on that. We have a tie. Ooh. Four votes apiece here, which means we have to go to the cover of... On the cover of the old thing, go, gonna buy a copy for my brother. Gonna see some movies on Shutter. Gonna see my gruesome face on the cover of the old Fango. So in lieu of a tiebreaker, we are going to the cover of Fangoria. And as it turns out, this is interesting because Motel Hell... And I think, I think Justin, you mentioned it, that, you know, a lot of people, they don't know the movie, but they know the visions of Farmer Vincent with the pig face because it landed on the cover of Fangoria. Ah. Alligator does not. Now, Alligator 2 shows up down the line, but we're talking about the original. Oh, the alligator. So, so based on that. Based on the tiebreaker cover of Fango, Fango comes up again. And we have now, going into the round of the Hateful Eight, we have Friday the 13th going up against Motel Hell. Oh, man. It takes all far kinds of critters to make Mrs. Voorhees fritters. It does indeed. And we couldn't have gotten here without the help of both Justin and Liam from the Horror Business Podcast. Thank you again, both of you, for taking the time to do this. So, again, where can our listeners find you out on social media? Plug the the podcast, the network. Uh, thank you guys for having us. This is a lot of fun. I, you know, anytime anyone gives me a chance to talk into a microphone about horror films, I greatly appreciate Um <laughs> You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at theharbiz666, biz spelled B-I-Z. Um, and you can go to, uh, I always, you know, just go to cinepunks.com. That's where all the cool stuff is. That's where you can find all of our episodes. We're also on iTunes. We're, we're, wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where we are. Um, and, yeah, like if you want to listen to me, if you want to see lots of uh, insane political rants and pictures of dogs, just follow me wherever at Repairman X Jack. <laughs> Perfect. And, again, Liam? I mean, people can follow me, uh, Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z, but just follow Cinepunks. Don't worry about me. I'm not that big a deal. Follow, subscribe, retweet, do all the things on the social media. Again, we appreciate you guys, what you do. Um, And we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Patrick from the Kill by Kill podcast to help us break down Friday the 13th and Motel Hell to see which one goes into the round of the Frightful Four. Well, we'll be back. And we are back, and as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, let us again thank Justin and Liam from the Horror Business Podcast, and let us say goodbye to both The Fog and Alligator, and I guess while we're at it, uh, Robert Forrester's Thinning Hair. 
But genius, as we say goodbye to some, we say hello to others, mm-hmm. and I don't want to alarm you, mm. but we're not alone. Uh, Let me put on my pants. <laughs> in fact, you can hear our next guest as one half of one of my new favorite shows uh, that is all about the characters that you find in the world of horror, I think of the great Craig Wasson, uh, for example. Uh, please welcome to Nightmare Junkhead from the Kill by Kill podcast, Patrick Hamilton. Hello, everybody. Greetings and salutations from the West Coast. Yes, yes, indeed. And uh, hello from the cold Midwest here, mm-hmm. as a genius can tell you. There he... are some Toros in the atmosphere. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> it's official. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and you know what's crazy here, living in Kansas City, on, on the Missouri side, for uh, for our political listeners out there, um, <laughs> we it is, you can, like, we went from 60 degrees to, like, 30 just within two days it yeah. is ridiculous so as you know as good as you guys got it out there on the west coast all that consistent weather we got the chaos in here so i think we're keeping it even somehow well we're in a, a weird spot where um in this in the spring because our, our seasons don't really exist in a normal <laughs> time frame winter doesn't hit until february summer doesn't start until the end of july so <laughs> we're in an in-betweener point where it gets cold and i put that in dick fingers for us at night <laughs> at around 50 and then but it, it warms up during the day where if the sun's shining on the house you're like fuck am i gonna have to put on an air conditioner and you don't want to nothing you don't want to do any of that luckily we're kind of near the beach here so i can just open the doors and let the breeze come in and i also don't have to shovel snow which yeah. i've learned i am not good at let me tell you, the older no, I get, nobody yeah. is. That's nobody a- is. Nobody <laughs> is like, I'm going to be the best snow shoveler there's ever been. The closest <laughs> I like to get to snow shoveling is that Simpsons episode with Mr. Plow, and then that's it. The name again is Mr. Plow. <laughs> so before we officially get into the madness here, uh, Patrick, please feel free, plug your social media, please plug and promote away. Oh, well, uh, primarily I would be here for the Kill by Kill podcast where we're dedicated to as you said, celebrating uh, the horror film's least discussed component, and that would be character. Uh, we really focus in on detail. It can take us several episodes to get through a movie, or we can just do it at one and save ourselves some brain cells. But when we were going through the Friday the 13th franchise, it would take us five, six, sometimes seven episodes to, to dedicate to every single character within uh, a picture. Um Nightmare on Elm Street, there aren't as many characters, there aren't as many deaths. Uh, but uh, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. And, of course, we're on Twitter at, at KillByKillPod. And we have a you know Facebook page and a you know, dedicated group. And we're on Instagram at KillByKillPodcast. And, you know, goofy things like that. Come and join us. Uh, we're fun sometimes. Every time, every time. And I'll be honest, I waxed your car a little off mic. And so I'm going to have to do it on the mic as well. Um, as many of our listeners know, Genius isn't a podcast listener. You're just, that's not your thing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Very, I, I don't even listen to us. But me, on the <laughs> other hand, I'm, I'm the socially awkward introvert of the group, so I am constantly listening to shows. And the ones I gravitate to ultimately are the ones where not only the, the, you know, the, co- the, the hosts have good chemistry, but they're genuine in what they do. And that's what really gravitated me towards you guys, you and Gina. It's just, number one, you guys are really funny. You always make me laugh. But ultimately, it comes from a place of love. And I I genuinely enjoy that. And I'll be honest, you guys got me through. Uh, My dad lives down in Branson, Missouri. He's retired down there. Which, yeah, no, if you're a fan of Yakov Shmirinov, you know. What a country. 
from from very young. I, I've always I've been a Schmirnoff head. Yes, <laughs> as you guys are called. Yes. Uh, but I was on my way driving late one night from there. I went down during the holidays, and I was trying to make my way back to Kansas City, and I was kind of fading. And I threw on your Black Xmas episode uh, okay. with one Heather Wixon, and you guys had me laughing so goddamn hard I almost wrecked. But ultimately, it kept me awake, which was wonderful. <laughs> but it was at that point I was like, "Oh man, I, I am you guys got a fan for life." So. Again, thank you for the funny, but also thank you for keeping me awake. Oh, our pleasure. I'm I'm glad that we we, we don't monotone people very <laughs> much. We we try to put on a show over here at Kill by Kill. I you know I love a good hangout as much as anybody, but we do try to make it a show, make it an event for people because we're we're only around every other week. Uh, any more than that, I think I I might have to jump off a bridge. Oh god. <laughs> what? It's it's too much. There there's there's a lot of responsibility to podcasting, especially if you want to build and maintain an audience. And that means being consistent, but being consistent also means knowing as Dirty Harry once told us, your limitations. <laughs> what have you had a, I don't I want to say a franchise that you enjoyed, but just like a particular standout episode that if any of our listeners wanted to kind of dig in beyond the, the Black Xmas Heather Wixon episode, what would be the one that you would recommend them to kind of dip their toes into? Um, I, a non-franchise one, uh, are generally uh, we pick wilder movies that, that tend to confuse us or are, or we're trying to shine a light on like, a happy birthday to me. Uh, we broke that into two parts, and uh, our probably our most popular episodes were the uh, Hello Mary Lou yes. Prom Night Two. Yes. Um, now we did it before the sort of Mary Lou Renaissance that is occurring. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we're to blame. I, I I love to think that we stoked that fire a little bit because I love that movie. I, our prom, our original prom night is pretty fun too because we barely talk about the movie. And I, our guest is actually the the young woman that I took to prom, so a lot of it is talking about our weird prom. Um, and then of the franchise, like I love our Friday the Thirteenth Part Four coverage. I think that's super fun. I think our Part Seven is really really funny, um, and our original run on Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, which is a three parter is a very good one, two, three punch of that movie. A movie we love, 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 but has so much weirdness baked in that you don't quite see on first glance. And once I started to really examine what was happening in the background of this movie, it was fascinating, truly. And I, like I said, ultimately, if you really want to dig in, uh, I can definitely recommend the Dream Warriors episodes, just the way you guys, I don't want to say tear into Craig Wasson, but man, oh man, and I just I highly recommend you, you know, definitely listen to that one, you guys, because I also Perfect. agree he's he's kind of milk toast esque, you know, he just doesn't have much of a presence. So it was appreciated knowing that there are people out there that share the same opinion. I, I think I was just astounded because I had always had a very good opinion of uh, Dream Warriors because it's a good movie. Like oh, yeah. There's tons of cool stuff and it's stylistically awesome and there's a lot of great choices. Craig Wasson's its greatest limitation because the filmmakers seem to believe that you need someone to go, oh, I get I, I get what a Nightmare on Elm Street movie is. And they choose Craig Wasson to be that vehicle and ulti ultimately like, try to make him the star of the movie. And it becomes 
Craig Wasson and the Dream Warriors. <laughs> and that was astounding to me. Like, I, I just hadn't viewed it through that lens. And the more we watched it, we're like, damn, this dude gets a lot of screen time given his uh, lackluster presence, uh, let's say. It's just not his finest moment. I need him to be sleazy and be overwhelmed by a murder plot because he's dumb. Yes. That's the Craig Wasson I like. I want him launched out of windows while naked like a ghost story. Here he's, um, well, it proves his limitations, let's say. Indeed, indeed. And honestly, you know, he, his, John Saxon's hairpiece probably had more presence, you know, ultimately than he did in that flick. So. <laughs> right. And we well, say that. attached to John fucking Saxon. Exactly. By extension, by any other name and extension, but Guess, by John Saxon. Guest starring Chussel. Just, yes, <laughs> so ultimately, a question we always ask any of our first-time guests is, what was it that got you into your into horror, i.e. your horror origin? You know, was it a movie? Was it a moment? Was it a, was it a relative? But what was it ultimately that made you go, you know what? I, I can get into this. Um, I was an intensely scared child, and so... <laughs> Um, and then my parents were also religious and I was the first born. And so a lot of my, uh... you know, input was heavily monitored. So I would never be exposed to anything that even approached horror, but there were these, um, weird, like almost textbooks called the Crestwood monster books that were from the library that had Dracula, Frankenstein, the creature from the black lagoon, the phantom of the opera, it was King Kong. And they would kind of mm-hmm. explain to you their origin and, you know, oh, this is what the book version was and that it was made into this movie and then Universal did it in 1929. And that sort of fired my imagination like, oh, I can explain to myself. I can I can research away the thing that frightens me, which would be, uh, you know, these crazy monsters. And we happen to live just kind of down the road from Universal Studios. Oh. So – that encouraged it. <laughs> that, that became my thing. Oh, I love these monsters. And, you know, I still couldn't watch the movies, but, <laughs> you know, Mad Magazine told me everything I needed to know about Alien. Uh, what else could I possibly need to know? And so slowly but surely, when I was a teenager, I found my way into working in video stores. And that's where I just started going through horror from A to Z. And from that moment on, it was pretty cemented. This is the thing that I care the most about when it comes to movies. Mm -hmm. And while my appreciation of every other genre certainly uh, blossomed and grew over time, horror is the thing that I return to. It feels comfortable. And in particular, Friday the 13th was the thing that I... I loved exposing the 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 magic trick of the special effects yes. and how the clock worked, the ticking time bomb of who would go next. It just it satisfied something in me. And so, you know, a few years, I think it was like 2010, I started asking people, you know, would you talk about Friday the 13th with me? My <laughs> wife said no. And... Uh, she's like, I love you, but you have to talk about this with something, somebody else. <laughs> and so, lo and behold, I, uh, Gina and I have never met. Um, we're on two opposite coasts. 
but we had met in a, a, a Facebook group for the podcast, The Flophouse, one of the yeah. the, the, the triumvirate of uh, bad movie podcasts in the world. And we just had a very similar pop culture diet and a sensibility. And when we started talking, it just worked, you know. And my thing was everyone can talk about a movie, but I, I kind of want to dig into the details. Not so much like a minute by minute. Maybe kill by kill, <laughs> and, boom. and it was a show. Yeah, and that's when the the uh, home studio audience freaks out. They said the title of the thing. Yeah. We can roll credits. We are good to go. <laughs> but it's <Titular> lying. <laughs> it's always so. In, it's always so interesting. Walk across the quad. Don't you forget about me. <laughs> Blair's up in the background. Fist in the air, baby. Right. Yeah. It's always so interesting how many people like we talk to horror fanatics and film fans and and people who actually do a lot of podcasts. There's seems to be a running theme of the video store. You know, we've all worked at one or like we knew someone who went there all the time and got that. It's like it's a lost art. You know, it's a lost thing. Much like, you know, the fashion of the camp is kind of just not around anymore. So I don't know. I, I, it's one of those things that was very communal. Mm-hmm. It also was somewhat limiting because there would only be so many copies <laughs> of something. So you couldn't access everything you wanted in the moment. And as such, it was a gathering place. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you would go in a group and you would all decide what movie or movies you might want to watch. And um, it, it, uh, it allowed a generation to, you know, enhance their cinema diet. And, I think the other component that people don't talk about as much, but is very true, is that with younger people, they have less access to a, a cable package. Mm-hmm. They, they don't watch television as much. And so they are missing, uh, of no fault of their own, just because time moves on. Yes, They're missing that, oh, X is on TNT. I'm going to watch that. Oh, look, The Wolfman is on TCM. I'm going to sit down and watch that. Oh, Deep Rising is on AMC. (laughs) I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch that. Hell yeah, man. Treat Williams. (laughs) (laughs) And as such, you know, you, we, we, and I I think it's not any fault of their own. It's simply, uh, we have so much access to so much and yet we're actually limited by a lot of walls and barriers to deepening your, your understanding of horror beyond what's happening right now. And the the good news is there's a lot of great stuff that's yes. happening mm-hmm. right now. Oh yeah. It's a great time to be a horror fan. Um, but the sheer backlog <laughs> also <laughs> is there, I'm sure is intimidating for so many people. And I do wonder how many people under the age of 25 have actually sat down and watched 1980s Friday the 13th or Motel Hell. You are the king of segues, my friend. We might as well just dig in here because we do have sure. two films from 1980. The ad for mention, Friday the 13th and Motel Hell. And man, I can't think of two films that ultimately would pair interestingly together if you were to put them on a double feature. But only one can go into the round of the Frightful Four. But before we go into the criteria there, we definitely want your thoughts on your, you know, your relationship with these films, uh, your thoughts on all those. So do we start with Friday the 13th or Motel Hell there, Patrick? 
Well, why don't, why don't we give Friday the 13th a little bit of breath? Let's talk about Motel Hell. There we go. Well, as you know, it does indeed take all kind of uh, critters. To make Farmer Vincent's fritters. So, mm-hmm. I, was this a movie that, uh, was this one that you caught early on? Is this one that you caught later in life? Uh, do you remember your first experience with Motel Hell? My first experience in learning anything about Motel Hell was actually in a Fangoria magazine yes, yes. that uh, uh, was purchased for me by my Nana. <laughs> uh, we had a habit of going out on Saturdays probably to, I would carry her bags as she would do her shopping. So whatever that shopping would entail, whether or not we went to the Glendale Galleria or we went to the Gelson's, whatever it was, we would catch the bus and I would carry the bags. Um, and we did this from me being eight years old on every Saturday. Um, at a certain point when my uh, littlest brother was born, she turned to me and said, no more toys for you. <laughs> like I can only, I can only handle the uh, economic impact of your, your parents' family. And I can carry three sets of toys, but not four. And I'm like, okay, but there's a lot of cool toys. Just like, no, no, no. I'm going to buy you anything you want to read. You you come with me, I'm going to buy you something to read. And it doesn't matter what it is. So that's when I kind of like, I don't know, James Bond novels? So she would buy me Dr. No. Nice. I don't know, like X-Men comics? Okay, here you go. Um, this Fangoria magazine? <laughs> How bad it could it be? It's on sale at the supermarket. And so uh, in that Fangoria that's magazine logic. was, in fact, an article about Motel Hell. Yep. Yep, And I don't know if it was new. I don't know if it had been sitting on that stand for a year. I I don't (laughs) even know exactly when this was. But it was indelible. The very saturated pictures that they had of the pig mask and people holding up, you know, uh, chainsaws and heads buried in the ground with their throats slit. It's It's just very evocative if, as it were and as a result i desperately wanted to understand what the hell it was but i don't think i saw it for a decade yeah and we're looking at the cover of the old fango right now and oh my goodness that is such an iconic fangoria cover cover of the old fango indeed and i'll tell you if you were to look at this that is crazy intimidating looking but it's not ultimately the movie no that you really get it's more it's way more mirthful (laughs) than that cover leads to be you know i mean that looks like it's hardcore 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 violence but no we get rory calhoun standing around and doing things so (laughs) (laughs) it is a very languid film Uh, it's much more of a comedy than it is. But then again, horror is that expandable thing that it, it has a lot, you know, it's a rubber band. You can (laughs) fit it around all sorts of objects. So comedy works just as well. I don't know that Motel Hell would have existed without Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. That being said, there's no, there's not a chance in hell that Friday the 13th would exist without Halloween. Mm -hmm. So, you can negate that in terms of um, everything comes from something. Uh, but, but I also feel like there's a healthy dose of, well, how can we tell Psycho but different? Yeah. And there's a lot of movies that fit that. Another one that happened this year is uh, my favorite Danny Steinman movie, uh, The Unseen, oh, uh, of his three. And 
Um, it, it, it has that sort of, this town is too small and they have a big, big secret and they're going to do anything they possibly can to hide it. And you also don't know what the living hell Rory Calhoun and Nancy Parsons oh. deal is. And the film right? is not interested in telling you. No. Are they sisters? Is it brother? What's going on? Now, question. Would this be considered exploitation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would throw this I, in the I, I would. I would say because it's a roadside attraction yes, yes. and they make a very big deal of killing outsiders mm -hmm. that you have to put it into that category. In fact, um, you could actually imagine this as a triple feature. You do Eaten Alive, Tourist Trap, trap and, and Motel, Motel Hell. Hell. Holy fucking shit. That's an amazing it, triple feature. It would be fantastic. And they have a lot of thematic elements that really lend themselves mm -hmm. to one another. And... Because they're all that same kind of thing. <laughs> Phil. I mean, the the brilliance of of Eaten Alive is how uh, he's he trying <laughs> to create uh, the outdoors indoors, and yeah. it feels claustrophobic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this is unnatural. This isn't real. But instead of taking you out of the movie, I feel it draws you in. It becomes sort of nightmare logic. Uh, tourist Absolutely. trap just drives people insane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I uh, would yuck Connors. That Donaggio's score has a lot to do with oh, that. Yeah. Well, you know, and actually, uh, for Terror Tuesday here at our local draft house, uh, in a few weeks, it's going to be playing on the big screen. Mm, they're going to put this over your eyes. <laughs> Fucking yuck Connors. Oh, man. he is so horrible in that. <laughs> Those goddamn mannequins. Anyway. <laughs> well, we recently had a chance to watch to see Mannequin again on the big screen, which. Right. Tourist Trap still plays in the back of the exactly, mind. Exactly. Fucking <laughs> nothing's going to stop us now. <laughs> fucking you. <laughs> oh, that's awful. That is so bad. But I always, I was always familiar. I kind of reverse engineered in this one because I was aware of Nancy Parsons because of Bob Clark's Porkies. Sure. And so when I had never... So this is like pre-Ball Baker or Ball, ball Breaker, breaker yes. or post-Ball Breaker? Yeah, no, this is the lead into. Right. She yes. might have gotten hired straight off of this movie to into the Porkies. Yeah, and that whole French... So it was weird <laughs> realizing... Big farming into the Porkies. It, it was... Yeah. <laughs> it, well, that's the way it worked, but it was... She was always terrifying in that, and to see her in this was also just so just unsettling scaring the piss out of kids i love her <laughs> which <laughs> which actually I mean, she, she is very good at what she does and yes. she is very odd here but all, <laughs> the, this movie has a desire to promote the idea that rory calhoun is irresistible to women oh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it has a very tough time carrying off i'd say in a movie that uh, a human meat is grown in the ground the most irrational component of it is that ladies are tripping over <laughs> their dicks to be with rory calhoun and i come on you, you everybody you, you can't it's underestimate so the power of a good entrepreneur, you know, yeah. someone that's local. All organic, yeah. you know, and you All know he's organic. good around standing around <laughs> and doing things. I mean, like, he's good with family. Do you think maybe Farmer Vincent was like the proto, like, organic hipster back in the day? Someone he certainly is projecting himself as that. And he, he there's an elitism to what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. 
and no preservatives, no preservatives, no preservatives, no preservatives. And then his his final moment, oh, which yes. it, it, I have to bring uh, my co-host Gina Radcliffe into this conversation because one of her favorite lines in any movie is his admission yeah. that they do in fact use preservatives <laughs> on their human meat sausage. <laughs> it's it's the best capper to a film. That inevitably, when they kill, they, it's a movie that kills Cliff Clavin of all right. things. And yes. for and what's really funny because we talked about it in the first round, but it's like there's I know there's a segment of our listeners that probably have no idea who that is beyond probably like Toy Story. Exactly beyond Pixar, nobody knows. Like for example, like if Norm shows up, everybody beyond a certain age is gonna go Norm, and everybody go who the fuck is that? <laughs> well, I feel that is changing somewhat with its exposure on Netflix, like. Um, it, I find it playing in a lot of local bars. Really? It's oh, just because they turn it on. And it's one of those things that people are finding comforting, that sort of self-contained, I don't know need to know what happened before this, and I don't you know, need to know what happens 22 minutes later. Yep. But for this 22 minutes, I'm going to enjoy the comedy stylings of a Cheers. So, you know, everything comes around. Well, and the fact I love the fact that uh, Joe Bigas definitely has something against George Went as he's killed him off now in his last two films <laughs> violently, very violently. He just dies well. What he, can you say? He does. He truly does. Now, obviously, in Motel Hell, one of the other things that we need to talk about is the horrific sounds of the organic gardening. That's go yes, which. Yeah. Where do you stand on? Is that creepy? Is it unsettling? Is it one of those things that you can't listen to? Uh, I can't, I mean, I, I wouldn't, like, turn it on in the background and go to sleep. Yes, yeah. Uh, I don't know how inherently creepy, no, I think it's creepy to start work. with, and the more you hear it, the less creepy it becomes. Yeah. I wish they had found a way to do a little bit more with it, because <laughs> the once it's revealed what's under those bags, and once you see it, you, you see the process of how it happens, then it almost hits the over-explained element. <laughs> and then when people start to just be able to break out by wiggling a lot, then, then, <laughs> then you're like, well, why didn't you guys wiggle before? Um, I guess sedation is involved. I don't know. It, it, I just don't... From a, And we, we brought this up when we talked about it on Patreon, but that's not really available to everyone. But I do really wonder what the enhancement is of burying people up to their necks when it, it comes to their meat. It softens. Because we don't really do it with cows, and we don't do it with pigs, and we don't do it with anything else. And these people are well beyond the veal stage. <laughs> right. So, See, that's the thing. It softens the meat. The reason why we don't do it with like cows and pigs is because they're being conditioned. This is some hard, toughened leather. So you put them under the ground, and it ferments, and kind of not, it softens the kind of like a like a kimchi esque type thing, where okay. like the, it's a little bit more tender and easy to rend the flesh. Is he using a certain kind of soil for this? Right, you got to use heavy salt concentrate, unsalted because no preservatives, right? Well, but we know that he's lying. This is true. Yeah, that's true. That is so, some sour ground out there. Exactly. The, <laughs> the ground is sour. Had new Farmer Vincent sour jerky. <laughs> it's coming around. We're starting with sour beer. It's a flavor profile that's... that people are not exploiting. So you're going to see that a lot. Sour dough. No. Like, 
Sour, sour, Jesus. Cool There's Farmer Vince's fritters. But yeah. neither here nor there. <laughs> I want to go back to the idea of the AMSR going on yeah. there because I yeah. think there's a there's a subset of people I guarantee that would pay for something like that. It's like, hello and welcome to Farmer Vincent's ASMR. Today I'm going to give you tingles. I'm going to be scratching the mic and then we're going to... <laughs> and it's going to help you sleep. Relax. Relax. Okay, I'm 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 there. I'm there. <laughs> I'm I'm tell I'm telling you there is there are people out there that would do something like and again, I love them, especially if they're listening. That's wonderful, but I'm starting my own ASMR channel now. <laughs> <laughs> Get in while the getting's good. Right. There's a subsection out there for that. Um I guess uh have you now real quick question, have either of you ever seen the film called Last Supper by any chance? That sounds very familiar. Is it like an Eni Raoul? It, it, it's kind of sort of it deals with these graduate students that get together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's it takes on the kind of elements of Motel Hell in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's kind of funny because and I mentioned that because this film isn't original in any in, in by any means, but its influence can definitely be felt. And like I said, it's so strange that we're talking about a film from 1980 here in the Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. An that odd is, one. Uh, not even so much odd, but just how funny it is. In the early 80s, because that's something you really didn't see until late 80s for the most part. Or am I off on that? Well, you in in just a little bit, you in the next year, you will have both The Howling and hmm. An American Werewolf. In true, London. very true. So I do feel like there's the balloon is being blown up here <laughs> uh, with horror. It's either going to uh, the gore elements or it is uh, becoming sort of bloated in terms of, and I don't mean to specifically call the Shining bloated, <laughs> but the the Shining is a production, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you have these big production elements, or you have these tiny indies that are trying to find their own niche, but the balloon of horror is growing and growing and growing. And uh, then you have something like American Werewolf London and and the Howling at the same time going. These things are great, but you know what goes great with scary, funny, <laughs> always, and especially if you do it right. And it's very hard to do, but when you do it right, you do it right. And here, this is a, a sort of different brand of funny than you would find in those films. This yeah. is. Um, it, you're being asked to laugh at Rory Calhoun. You're being asked to laugh at Nancy Parsons. And the preeminent example of this is Paul Link, who up until this moment had been known as being the dick with a badge on chips. Yes, that's right. He's now being asked to be a dick with a badge. (laughs) (laughs) He's just as effective. Like there's, you sort of get the impression on chips that uh, he can't ride a motorcycle. Like he might just fall over. Like he can't operate both of his legs at the same time. He's untrustworthy. And here I get the oh, he, same impression. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the romantic rival to Rory Calhoun. <laughs> and I might add, he loses. Yes. Even after Rory Calhoun is exposed as a person who grows and harvests human meat. And yet she's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not 
I'm not going with you. <laughs> not, not a deal breaker. <laughs> like, if this is the choice, I'm going with no thanks. Maybe she's looking for security and not of the you know law enforcement kind, but right. ultimately, hey, he's good with the chainsaw. She hits her head when Rory Galhoun essentially tries to kill her and yes. her paramour at the beginning of the movie. Which I always love a good motorcycle intro, be it you know Rabid, Cronenberg, uh, mm-hmm. but that's always it's just it's just odd. Again, it's just such an oddball flick. What do you think, um, Farmer Vincent's fritters? Do you think they're good? Uh, they have to be, <laughs> right? A regional delicacy. He's yeah, got, he's got a customer base. He's, he, it's, yeah. a re, it's a regional delicacy, man. I mean, it's something yes. people will travel to. It's not going to come to them, so they know it's probably stretched out. Maybe ultimately, you Ooh, know, yeah. and that's yeah. may, ooh, you know, that's where you could probably, you know, ultimately, if they ever did like a Motel Hell reboot, which I'm, I'm kind of shocked ultimately that this is something that hasn't been remade at this point. Do you think they would try to go more horror, or do you think they would try to go more comedy, or maybe try to balance the two? Uh, I mean, uh, hmm. it really would depend on who they put into yeah. play because I don't know that this is a movie where people are so rabid about it that they would go, oh, that's not my motel hell. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could do anything you wanted with it, but if you can do anything you want with it, why call it motel hell? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what does it bring to the, what does it bring with it other than a really killer name? And so that that would be my guess is that you would not have to necessarily bring all the elements. You wouldn't have to find a Rory Calhoun replacement. <laughs> you could very easily take this in a uh, a direction that would lampoon the very idea, mm-hmm. especially with organic farming. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, <laughs> you could make it about veganism, about and all that stuff. And I think it would be I think it would be interesting. But again, when you have a title that people understand, they start adding zeros to what they think it will make. Motel yeah. Hell is not one of those movies. No, it's going to add a bunch of zeros, man. That's, that's not how it works. Well, from a movie that may get remade to a movie that has been remade, let's go into Friday the 13th by Sean Cunningham. And this is... I again, you mentioned a little bit, but this is you know the the flick that kind of launched the podcast for the most part with Kill by Kill. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, we started and the very first episode. We we talk about the two campers and their their terrible fashion sense. <laughs> how how folk music seems to lubricate them, and <laughs> they're they're terrible they're terrible attempt at dry humping, oh, and yeah. uh, it's... and it ends up. In this boathouse where the the guy victim kind of walks into a knife, which is something that happens over and over in this movie. But then the female victim, whose name I don't remember. (laughs) Uh, I could look at the notes, but everyone knows who I'm talking (laughs) about. Uh, She starts to throw empty boxes at her attacker, whom the, the camera is the point of view. But she can't hit the camera. So she's hitting, she's throwing these boxes about 20 degrees to the left or right <laughs> in an effort to stop her death. And it doesn't work. Oddly enough, when you throw boxes, you should throw them at your attacker as opposed to just off to the side. 
Well, she wasn't thinking straight. She was all hepped up on that folk music. <laughs> I mean, it is uh, wow. It's... They look at each other with the with the level of fuck eyes, right? Uh, when they are singing uh, "Row your boat, row yes. the boat ashore." Yeah. Like, Holy, what? What, oh, is, right. what is this song? What do you think this song is about? Michael's going to row the boat ashore tonight. Really? <laughs> He's going <laughs> to. Claudette never, knew not what she wanted. Never quite makes uh, the beachhead. Um, ah. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, this move. I mean, I love this movie. I, <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, too. It is. It is insane to me how well it did at the time. Mm-hmm. I know people were primed after Halloween, and Halloween had had a a long release because it wasn't released in theaters all at the same time. It just went regionally, and so. A lot of people saw Halloween over a long period of time. So the, the seeds are sown for someone to go, that's easy to do. And Sean, John Cunningham is the king of that's easy to do. <laughs> and uh, so he makes a movie that I think is elevated by a couple elements. He cast it well. And Tom Savini's yes. special effects yes. are the star. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pace of it is like a fucking rocket up until that third act. <laughs> and then he, you have what what would seem to be an unkillable villain yeah. felled by a woman who just would rather run away than have a physical conflict. And uh, a villain who, moments before she's revealed, tosses an entire person through a window <laughs> yes, and then's like i don't know if i can really beat you in a straight up fight <laughs> this is, and you see them tussle it's it's, uh, it's not even a fight it's, it's just a constant tussle it's, for 15 minutes until finally you know, you know adrian king pulls it together and and chops and chops that Voorhees head off I would rather see the Adrian King fight the Mrs. Voorhees that threw the dude out the window, you know, because like I could just picture like beat that ass, mommy, you know, (laughs) it is a little dainty when they're rolling around there. It's very dynasty esque. Yeah. Yeah. But again, dynasty had fight choreography. (laughs) Here's the problem with that third act is that no one thought, well, if this if 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 they tackle one another and they fall to the ground what do they do next <laughs> like I, we wish we could figure this out but we had to f- finish filming yesterday so let's just get on the ground and roll around a bit okay <laughs> here goes the 13th roll around and we're filming it, it just it it stops the movie cold <laughs> and i wish it didn't <laughs> but it kind of does um i wish i love that i i I adore Betsy Palmer's speech, uh, yes. and I I love that she is an unlikely villain. <laughs> um, but you know, at other moments in this movie, and we've talked about it quite a bit, um, it, the most famous death, of course, would be Kevin Bacon's as he's smoking a doob after sex, and he's just sitting back. Lo and behold, the blood <laughs> of his best friend, who he has been fucking underneath. This entire time, no one smells a dead body in any of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. It's you just the folk music. Erase people's olfactory senses. Yes, <laughs> it's the folk so, music. So he's smoking, 
and the he's on the bottom bunk. The bunk is these bunks are ten inches off the ground. A hand comes up, grabs his forehead, and then an arrow is jammed through his neck. And it's great, and it's fantastic, and it's fucking physically impossible. <laughs> physics this do not exist. Would have to this twelve inch arrow would have to be going straight up in in less than ten inches of space through a, a bunk, through a bed, through the mattress frame, <laughs> through through the back of his spine, and then out through his neck. The amount of forearm strength that Mrs. Voorhees <laughs> has is crazy. It's a family trait, and you will see it over and over again in the Friday the 13th franchise. They have very developed forearms. They're like Popeye, yeah. but not as you know visually prominent. And from that moment on, that was the thing that we really gravitated towards is the get-bumped death. That death that happens through something else, and I love it. Oh, it doesn't make a lick of fucking sense. But it's better than people like wandering into a room and they're like, oh, I'm going to die. I give up. And then she's going to hatch it to the face. She's over there like, kill a mommy. So, quick question. There's a lot of mystery involved. You said she's an unlikely villain, which she totally is. But, like, I asked you if you would consider Motel Hell exploitation. Would you consider Friday the 13th American Giallo? Um, it certainly has the air of one, but I don't know that that comes from Sean Cunningham necessarily. Yeah. To me, it feels like a construct of the script. It feels like Victor Miller is making an Agatha Christie yeah. style where you introduce a bunch of people and they slowly begin to be whittled down. And the audience is trying to figure out who amongst these people is the one who is doing the murdering. Can you figure it out before they kill everyone? And that certainly has an element that you see in a bunch of Chialo, yeah. where an unlikely detective tries to work out a series of crimes or the solution to a crime before they're killed off by that villain. So I think that's intentional from a script phase, but Sean, but Sean Cunningham <laughs> is not really bringing that. That that element is 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 brought to bear in part two where that killer POV becomes a more active element mm -hmm. and you start to see Jason hiding around easily viewable bushes. I mean, he doesn't quite have it fully worked out at one point in part two, uh, Jason looks down at muffin, the dog in the movie and the camera is so low on Jason's body that it looks like it's attached to Jason's dick. <laughs> It's so it's not perfect, but it's certainly when you get to part two, you get you're you're seeing someone who's obviously caught a bay of blood. Yes. Whereas I don't believe yes. Victor Miller or uh, Sean Cunningham were at the Le Cinema to catch that one on 42nd Street. No, and again, it ultimately that's why I think why a lot of people still enjoy Friday the Thirteenth because it does add that element of the suspense and especially, I mean, scream. And I, 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 I'm trying to figure out what the precipice of when people realized this was the Jason less Friday the Thirteenth. It has to be Scream, right? Because yeah, I Scream infects a lot of people. It really, it really yeah. does. Because I always, I always think of that as common knowledge, but then it's like, no, I realize that's why they put that in there because. Right. 
people yeah. always forget ultimately that this is because there's literally like 12 movies and only one of them is not jason yes and so yeah well for and... whatever reason friday the 13th seems to be a thing where people pick up an element and go oh, oh yeah it's... that's friday the 13th like on the paramount lot just last month they had up banners that said it's the 40th anniversary of friday the 13th with a silhouette of jason in the ah. mask ah. you're like uh have you guys caught friday the 13th lately you may want to give it a gander before you pay for those big banners to go well and it's so funny the fact that that this franchise pretty much kept paramount afloat during the 80s and they were just so ashamed of it and it obviously reflects to this day where they can just disrespect it that way oh that's horrible yeah, I, I just I don't think they view it as a true asset. They yeah. they have always enjoyed the money it brings mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. but they it seems dirty, and I think that's its greatest asset. <laughs> it seems it seems a little wrong. It seems like you shouldn't be enjoying this. I mean, in, in after uh, just after uh, part three was released, uh, Paramount had a, a film called Murphy's Romance with Sally Field. Yep. And James Garner. Oh, my God. James Garner's great. Man. Sally Field's great. Man, too. <laughs> but they all decide to go to a movie. It happens to be Friday the 13th, part three. And the way they talk Fuck about Shelley. it after the movie, they're like, oh, I used to work in an abattoir. I don't want to watch it on a movie screen. It's like, come on, wow. guys. It's called Friday the 13th, part three. What did you think this was going to be? Hey, no, okay. So even they just kept punching it in the balls while it brought them money. Well, I'd like to think that ultimately that Friday the 13th still has the last laugh. I just saw this on on the social media today. But have you ever did you see uh, check out Birds of Prey by any chance? I haven't gotten a chance to. This is my busy time of year. Oh, that's so right. Yeah, no, no, yeah. That's... <laughs> I desperately would like to go. I highly recommend it. Well, there's a little bit of an Easter egg in this movie. I never realized. But there's a scene where Harley Quinn is uh, taken someone's stolen uh, business card, scratched it out and has been putting all this stuff over it. As it turns out, the person's card she stole is one Lawrence Zerner from uh, Shelley. Shelley himself. Yes, yep. which I was just Fuck like, Shelley. Which, yeah, which <laughs> Genius has a long history of uh, Mr. Zerner. Larry Z- Zerner's, Mr. Zerner is dope. Shelley, fuck off. <laughs> I, I agree with you 1,000%. Uh, I have met Larry. He is a wonderful man. He's mm-hmm. a great representative of the horror community. Yes, He's yes. also a very good lawyer. <laughs> but Shelly is a terrible fucking character. Yeah, Shelly is and awful. He, when he heard that we had an entire episode about him, he unfortunately listened, listened. to it. And I don't... And I, I think, you know, he understands that not everyone likes, you know, Shelly. Mm-hmm. But I also think he feels a very... He feels very personal about it. Yeah. And I can't say that he's wrong, but also he is a much nicer and better individual than Shelley ever would. Yeah. And ever would be. And it's just uh, follow Larry on Twitter. Yes. He's a very good guy. If you meet him in person, he could not be nicer. But oh boy, Shelley. Fuck Shelley, <laughs> yeah, man. God damn. Well, <laughs> such a fuck. If he was in Brooklyn right now, he'd be getting it left and right. It's his fucking attitude that is the problem. And oh, what a fuckboy. He's just yeah. the worst. He's terrible. And I'm glad he's on film. I'm glad he that, that that kind of character is portrayed. That's fine. 
but Larry Zerner deserves better. And perhaps Birds Birds of Prey, you know, provided some respite from that. I, I would like to think so. And honestly, though, if we're still talking characters and we haven't once yet uttered, it's got a death curse <laughs> with Crazy Ralph, who for me sets the tone of the film. If you can't dig his vibe, this movie's not for you. That's cool. That's Creeping cool. out of the closet and riding away on his bicycle. <laughs> the townie with the bike, which is the townie with the bike. It's always every town has one. He oddly reeks of probably you know butt heavy, maybe bad, bad hooch. Yes, just yes. like rot. No, he's not. Gut. He's not drinking top shelf. This is the guy who's getting anything outside of like vanilla extract and putting it in his body. And yet oddly enough, he has fantastic posture. <laughs> you see him ride a bike and holy shit, I gotta carry myself better. He is fantastic posture. Because he's used and to one I, of the big wheels. One of those those bicycles <laughs> with the big giant wheel in front of <laughs> yes, is a very really, proper ride. He re- God, uh, he really does. I now just envisioning it. He really. Oh my God. Bring, bring. Well, it's funny. We're going to host a screening of of the original Friday the Thirteenth on Friday the Thirteenth, and I know now I'm going to probably laugh way too hard when I see that now, and I'm probably be distracting for someone because that's like he really is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. I mean it is. And this movie <laughs> has some real wonderful characters, and I mean I find Enos and everyone in the Dead Meat Cafe. Oh, just astoundingly weird. I mean, he's just an odd guy. He also assumes that everyone understands local lore. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. don't go up there. Why? And she goes, why don't you tell me why? It's got a death curse. Meanwhile, another guy just told her it's got it's a got death, death curse. curse. She's like, don't fucking listen to him. <laughs> he's crazy. Which is it? Does it have a death curse or not? You can't go, oh, don't listen to that very, you know, very held together drunk listen to me the guy who just grabbed your ass putting you in a truck yeah Yeah. yeah. 1980 another time another place don't listen to that crazy guy listen to this crazy guy speaking of crazy guys you also have a feat uh you know a specialty of the friday the 13th which is incompetent policemen Uh, friday the 13th hates our first responders (laughs) there's never been a good one there never will be they're all assholes uh officer dorf Strangely enough, not standing on his knees. Not his knees. <laughs> it is, uh, is just the prime example. And, Dorf on I killing. Mean, he uses euphemisms for pot I've never heard before. I've oh, never yeah. heard since. It's a, it's a really odd fucking scene. Um, and it, it just is a blend of, like, it keeps introducing people who feel off. And if you it's, don't know anything, if you did not know anything about it, I think people would be genuinely surprised who ends up being the killer. Oh, oh, because yeah. it's not mm-hmm. really pointing at any at, at anyone um, in, too hard, necessarily. Yeah. But it does set up a fair amount of legit red herrings. Oh, God, as yeah. opposed to yeah. what Scream would have you believe, which is prom night, it's full of red herrings. And you never know who the fucking killer is. And it's like... Yes, you do. From the minute it starts, yeah, and it never makes any of those red herrings fly. It's a fucking bad time up until people start disco dancing. It is a fucking travesty. 
Yeah, it's another one from 1980 that's just a little bit rougher. Yeah. You know? But I, I don't know if it's the Canadian sensibilities potentially, but we do love us some Canucksploitation. Well, listen, as much as we love both of these films, only one can go forward to represent 1980 in the year of in the uh, Frightful Four. And we've got two bits of criteria here that we look at in the round of the Hateful Eight. Genius. Well, you've got a, a, a look. No, I thought you were gonna. I was. I was almost ready to say the year two thousand. No, we're we're not there. No, that's another twenty years, my friend. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go there. I was like, oh no. no. <laughs> but the first thing that we're gonna ask here is, and it gets a little weird here, and it gets a little bit more abstract. But we ultimately we we ask that you create like a definition or maybe even an aesthetic of what horror was like in the year of nineteen eighty, and then based on that description. Uh, definition what have you which film better reflects that so again we're going abstract and weird but here in the round of the hateful eight that's what we do so i'm going to go throw it out here patrick do you want to go us and get us started yeah i think you in terms of the aesthetic at the time and we, we talked about this a little bit you're in a transition phase where horror is about to explode on the scene <laughs> you're about to see an increase of legit productions and indies that permeate pop culture when it comes to that, I you cannot outrank Friday the 13th. You're talking about a franchise that dominates an entire decade. Yeah. It releases a film almost every year yes. of that decade. And it's really, you watch, you, if you were to watch one through eight, you would get a catalog of what people were doing, <laughs> thinking about, thought was important, thought kids did reflected the pop culture around them and you it's a catalog of that time i think friday the 13th would not have happened without halloween mm. but i don't think the vast majority of the films that came after friday the 13th would have happened without its success yeah. because it adds elements that everyone will pick up it is inherently a different film than halloween it is in no way shape or form as good it is in no way shape or form <laughs> as iconic but it's it's weight um creates its own gravity i love motel hell i think it's a hell of a movie i think it's super funny but i it does not have the cachet it simply um is a wonderful little piece of something whereas friday the 13th is a phenomenon yeah Perfect. That is, now that is by definition showing one's work when it comes right. here. That is perfect. Genius. Okay, so I'm looking at the 80, 1980 aesthetic in two fronts. One, um, the actual aesthetics of the time, the look, the feel of it. Mm -hmm. And Friday the 13th got that. While... <clears throat> There's hit the there's the definitely the some of the look and the hairstyles of Rory Calhoun and all that stuff, standing around and doing things in Motel Hell. <clears throat> The just the look of it, the the, the the guy wearing your shorts with the mustache, <laughs> you know, and so and like everything. I mean, that screams 1980, yeah. and so does Friday the 13th when it comes to horror. Because you talk to a normie when you say, Hey, 80s horror, the first thing they think about is like kind of trashy slashers yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and that stemmed from this movie right here. And so that's why I'm going with. Friday the 13th. Excellent answer. I'm going to piggyback a little bit about what you said, Patrick, is that this was the 1980s is a transition period. We're going from the 70s to the 80s. But man, I mean, if you look at almost all of the films from the 1980s, 
they still have that 70s veneer on them, whether it's just you feel a little bit of sleaze, a little bit of grime, there's still that exists. But with the 80s, and especially in 1980, we get kind of what, uh, like, almost like um, a sensation of slashers, ultimately, almost like a slasher sheet kind of thing, um, be, it, be it in, like, Fade to Black, uh, Prom Night, and, I mean, Friday the 13th is responsible for that. I mean, if you think about the great slashers, Friday the 13th is up there, whether it's uh, Mrs. Voorhees, whether it's Jason, whether it's um, Roy. Roy. Exactly. You know, we will give love to that. To me, Friday the 13th is the essence of the slasher chic. And for me, it gets my vote. (laughs) (laughs) Do the Jason. Now, (laughs) the second one we're going to ask here is here. Listen, it is 40 years now since the release of Friday the 13th and Motel Hell, and we're still talking about them. So the question is, 40 years later from now, when we're all in the uh, horror retirement home, you know, staging our own VFW, if you will. All right. Which of these two films will we still be talking about? Patrick, I'm going to throw this one out to you. I would also go towards Friday the 13th. <laughs> and some of that is beyond its control it's- because it has an entire franchise beyond it and a, an ongoing fandom and a cultural awareness of its title. And Jason even though that has very little to do with the original Friday the 13th. So I, I feel like it's one of those things that people rediscover. They've heard about. They're aware of. Mm-hmm. Whereas Motel Hell is something that people discover along the way, and it's either a curiosity or it becomes a passion for them. But it's – I don't – is there – Things beyond the performances that elevate it to something that needs to be talked about 80 years after it was released, I find that hard to believe. Um, I would love if every if it was Motel Hell Mania. oh my god have you heard of this movie it was made 80 years ago it's about a farmer who buries people up to their neck and makes sausage out of them and when everyone's talking about it um but uh yeah i don't yeah i think it's friday the 13th it just it has all those components that we were just talking about and the characters are really fun like it's really well cast Fucking Laurie Bertram in this movie is my favorite Friday the 13th character. She is fantastic. You have no idea where she's coming from. She's the most heroic person in the entire thing. (laughs) And I just, I love her. She's sexually voracious. She's wild. She's liberated. She is her own person. And that's the kind of stuff that gets people's engines going. And I can't really say the same about Paul Frank. <laughs> I don't know. I can say the same about Rory Calhoun. <laughs> I think, but if people know Rory Calhoun, they honestly don't know about Motel Hell. That's, They're yeah. thinking about the, the Westerns that he yeah. was in. Yep. Or Hell Comes to Frogtown. <laughs> either or. Either. So genius. Right, six one half dozen the other. <laughs> um, 80 years down the line when there are horror textbooks and horror classes and or all that stuff. There will be chapters and units devoted to Friday the 13th. There will be a blurb and a footnote about Motel Hell. So I'm going with uh, Friday the 13th. Can't argue with that kind of logic. Ultimately, for me, it comes down to the longevity and, again, the influence, the legacy. 
Um, one of the criteria we looked at here was being on the cover of the old Fango, right? Mm-hmm. Friday the 13th was strewn throughout that. I mean, it is, it's DNA is in the very essence of horror. Friday the 13th, when you break down the DNA code, you'll see Friday the 13th in there. It just, it's one of those things. It's remarkable that before 1980, we didn't have a Friday the 13th franchise. You know, as a horror fan, that's kind of hard to realize. Yeah. And again, love Motel Hell. Love everything about it. Love the fact that I'm hoping it finds an audience yeah. because it's a film worthy of that. Obviously, the um, Scream Factory Blu-ray helps a lot. But, you know, again, I will be adoring the Friday the 13th franchise until my very dying breath. So it gets my vote. And... A clean slash, if you will. Friday the 13th is going to be making its way into the round of the Frightful Four to represent the year of 1980. Should have used more preservatives, man. (laughs) Possibly. It would have helped stave it off. (laughs) Well, honestly, thank you so... You know what? We could not have done this without the help of Patrick from the Kill by Kill podcast. Thank you so very much, man, for taking the time to do this. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's always fun to talk horror. And ultimately, I just love in the advent of social media, it's love to be able to make this happen. So it is really, really appreciated. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity and for being so supportive of our show. And we dig you guys. And thank you so much for letting me yak on and on. It is a pleasure on our end. So what film will be joining Friday the 13th in the round of the Frightful Four from the year of 1990? Fight with them, Mommy. Fight with them. (laughs) You have to tune in next Monday to find out. So until that time, this is Greg D. And I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. (laughs) 